Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Modern Squid Podcast, where we get to know the people behind our favorite writers and brands. In this episode, we meet Brad Cruz, co-founder of Golden Hour Coffee Moto. He is a self-described Triumph fanboy, coffee aficionado, and also entrepreneur. And with that, let's get started. Brad from uh, Golden Hour Coffee, I appreciate you joining me today. Can't wait to get into this. Yeah. Um, so just before our intro, we were kind of talking about your social media presence or lack thereof. And um, so I wanted to kind of follow up on that briefly because um, you were mentioning that you kind of take the approach, even with the golden hour marketing, that you know it's better to kind of be the person you see occasionally and appreciate the post versus that person who posts every day and you can kind of stick a C in it. Um, I've, it reminded me of like two different methods of thought that I've kind of come across because I've oh. got an interest in marketing. Um, and on one side, you have the, the marketers and the salespeople that say, hey, you know, people have to know you and trust you before they buy from you, right? It's like you're leading someone down that buyer journey of, you know, know, like, trust, and then buy. And so the more engagement you have with someone, um, the better chance you have for that to happen. And I think I saw somewhere that someone has to see your company um, 15 times or something before they actually end up buying something from you. And then on the other hand, you've got that book of power or whatever it's called. I love the exact name, but it's like the, the book of power. And in there, they talk about being um, sort of um, only there sometimes. Like don't overstay your welcome so that every time someone sees you, they're excited to see you. Right. You know, um, and I'm wondering how much of that was sort of a pre-planned approach and how much of it is just like, this is my natural inclination with things. And I'd like to bring that over into the business side as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it wasn't sort of a pre-planned approach. Um, and I think it just sort of naturally came about of just how we work um, just as a person. Um, and, you know, I, I think it just, everyone is so inundated with seeing each other just online and digitally over pictures. So it's just like, you know, you, you lose that sense of, uh, personality and, you know, uh, being natural and actually being a person. And it kind of goes along with like, you know, you, you text someone, you know, we're all texting now as opposed to talking on the phone and you sort of lose, um, you know, that perception of, of humanness. And so, you know, it, it's hard to gauge, uh, how someone is trying to market themselves. You know, there's a lot of misperception and um, misconceived. I don't know if you watch Key and Peel at all, but the first thing I think of is a skit where they're like on Skype or whatever, and then they're like, keep losing connection and they keep misinterpreting each other because, uh, you know, their text, they think they're meaning one way, but actually means the other, and they, he's getting offended by it. So, you know, there's a lot of misconception across uh, just digital media. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's a great, it's a fine, I say gray area. And, and then there's, there's a line of, um, um, that, that, that sort of separates the two. Um, and, you know, and I, I think it's great to keep people engaged at the same time. Um, but also without having to sort of make it exhausting for, for those, uh, uh taking in that content as well. 
So, you know, and I think that naturally comes of how we are um, just as, as, as a person. So um, we, we tend to not over inundate with people uh, with, with content, uh, which seems to be, you know, appreciative in some cases. Um, yeah. Cause some, some brands I follow are just like, uh, you know, skip, 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 skip. You know, I know what you guys have. Um, and I think if someone was really interested, they would actually go in deeper. Um, and so that's kind of where some of my thought process goes as well. It's just like, well, if someone really cares enough and they're interested in the brand, you know, they drink coffee, um, you know, they're exploring new ideas, then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll dive in deeper and, you know, those kinds of customers and those kinds of, uh, folks, you know, are really what's going to be key to sort of growing a business. And that expands off of that because they can be your people who can help market and that sort of stems outward and so on. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think my own personal view on it, um, falls somewhere in between in that I think what's most important is authenticity. So if you're making posts because, um, you genuinely have something you want to share, uh, and you're not just trying to follow an algorithm where it says, okay, you need to post three times a day, uh, at these specific times, because your analytics say, this is when the people that, you know, like your page are online and blah, right. blah, blah. Right. I mean, I think that when you start seeing that, that's when people start tuning out because it just, whether they know it or not, subconsciously, they know that that's not an authentic post, that this is something that's just being generated by math, you know, yep, yep. <laughs> versus the people who actually, you know, it's like you're out writing um, or you're at the coffee shop and you know that, for instance, this new blend is going to be something that people who like your coffee are going to be interested to see. You take a picture, you put it up, and then your followers who actually care about your coffee will be genuinely interested to see that post versus waking up in the morning and going, okay, I've got to post three pictures of coffee today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of goes along with the whole influencer thing too. Cause it's just like, you got to like keep up your brand and image because you know, and cause people do care about how you look and you know, all these things. Cause they're just obsessed with, with that sort of thing. Um, so there's people for that, but you know, that's also like, that's the customers that they want. But if also if that's not the customer that you want, then you tailor to that. So there's a lot of different places to sort of pick and pull. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with, uh, you know, you mentioned the whole math, you know, algorithms and doing things that are sort of set in stone where it's like, I have to do it because it's in the book and it's the rules. It's like, well, so someone who may have been successful because it worked for them, but probably not for you, depending on how you look at it. Uh, so yeah. Okay. So I see, uh, you got a German shepherd back there. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if I can, yeah, there, there's the, that's Benson. Oh, man. He's, he's the big guy. I have two German shepherds. Uh, one is a Belgian Malinois mix and she's a ball of energy. But he's a he's a lazy one. Yeah. And I have two cats. Only two? Uh two cats, two dogs. So oh, that's not enough. Zoo. You need more. I need more. <laughs> I uh, I've got six cats. Um oh, I, ha I had two dogs, but one of my dogs died back in March. Um 
and then I uh, technically have another dog that I have sort of shared custody with, with my ex-wife. Um, but with the whole COVID thing, we're trying to stay um, isolated. So we're not doing the pass the dog back and forth right now. Yeah. But we used to do basically weekends, you know, like every other weekend or something, she'd come drop her off uh, and she'd get to spend oh, time good. with the other dogs and, you know, with me. Um, now I just get to see pictures. Ah, uh, but my parents actually used to raise and breed German shepherds. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, I grew up with German shepherds in the house all the time. And then when they moved to California, they started working with this guy who had connections with the German military because he used to work there and was a dog handler and trainer. Mm. And so um, I'm sure you're aware of this, but a lot of the German shepherd breeds in the U.S. are really inbred and yeah. it's causing issues with joints, hip dysplasia, allergies, all these different things. And so they were trying to bring in new bloodlines into the U.S. to help, you know, diversify that so that there's not so much inbreeding and hopefully yeah. the health of the breed would improve. Um, so, yeah, they were they were importing these dogs from Germany and then bringing them with the U.S. lines and um, yeah, did that for a while. Wow. I know it's it, it's sort of a thing of just the, all their their. Yeah, and I guess it's with every breed, you know, there's always going to be some sort of genetic hereditary thing that they, they, um, they get, but I know the hip stuff, I'm like super like hyper aware of like, you know, when he gets up and he's getting older. So I'm like giving him dog massages and, and whatnot, just to like, you know, keep him keep him easy. Um, but he's, he's good. Yeah. My, my lab, he's getting super old and I just recently bought him one of these, um, like Serta, um, memory foam bed yeah. things right yeah. and it's like a hundred dollar <laughs> dog bed <laughs> oh, man but he loves that thing like he uh he crawls up on it and then he's out and yeah for the first time ever um i've had to go and like shake him awake at dinner time because he's such a food hound yeah normally he's up and pestering us for food pestering us for food <laughs> when it's dinner time and then uh yesterday the day before i had to like shake him and say hey bub I've got your yeah. food. You know, he, he wakes up and he's like, Oh my God, it's dinner time. <laughs> so, Man, the amount of love we give to our pets sometimes it's, you know, compared to like 10, 15 years ago, you know, I think of my parents when we were growing up with pets and stuff, it's like, man, they did not give them as much love as they used to compared to how we do now. You know? Yeah. They're like children now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, no less kids, more pets. Seems like that seems to be the ongoing trend. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you to German Shepherds? Uh, well, the, the short story is, you know, um, we've always wanted a dog. Um, but there's always that thing of commitment and, you know, big dogs and dogs require more, more care and all that stuff. And that was just sort of like the short term, like hesitancy. And, um, you know, we've already had two cats. And, uh, I woke up one, one morning and I forget, you know, this was like 2017, 20, yeah, no, 2016. Uh, I just woke up one morning and was just like, Hey, uh, let, let's actually, sorry, before, before I talk to Kiana, I was just like looking at my phone because I was just like, you know, window shop and, you know, just see what's out there at like the SPCA and, you know, uh, and this, Australian Shepherd came up and I'm like, oh man, he's like, he sounds like a great personality. He's really, you know, cute looking, you know, he seems like a great dog to just sort of train and he seems to be really, do really well with cats. And I was just like, you know what, let's just do it. 
Um, I was like, Keanu, let's just want to go to the SPCA today. She's like, uh, okay. And not knowing that, you know, that we were going to adopt a dog that day. So we get the SPCA. Um, and this was in Dublin. Uh, so, you know, roughly 45 minutes away. And, you know, I saw the picture, you know, it was posted the day before, uh, you know, saw it that morning, uh, took us a couple, you know, it took an hour or whatever to get ready, drove over there only to find out that the dog got adopted already. So within that time window, that dog got adopted. So we were like kind of heartbroken a little bit about it just cause it was just like, we had our hopes up and sort of like, okay, whatever. And then we realized that there was an animal shelter, um, across the street. And so we looked and that's where we found Benson. Uh, and he was five, four or five at the time. Um, and, you know, just kind of like, uh, you know, German shepherds, you know, they, they're good dogs. You know, we, we really didn't have a lot of knowledge around German shepherds at the time. Um, so we kind of took a leap of faith uh, of, you know, adopting him. Um, Cause I like, I wanted to be, like a big dog, a bigger dog that was, you know, did, that would do well with cats that we'd able to just sort of train and, you know, um, uh, and do all that. Uh, and, you know, we got really lucky because it's just like, he's also not sort of typical kind of like your high energy German shepherd. He's like super low energy, kind of like really good with everybody. He's like the chillest dog that I've ever had and owned and worked with. And yeah, it's, it's just a weird thing. And, uh, and I guess that's why we have two now because he was so easy. It's like, oh, let's just get another another dog. And she was just like the complete opposite. I was like, oh my God, she's so much energy. And, you know, she's kind of a ruckus. And we always have to like call her. You know, we 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 had her do a board, board and train um, program uh, just because she was a bit, uh, she was neglected as, as a puppy. Um, so she had a bit of a rehabilitation that needed, needed. So, um, but, but she's good now, but, um, obviously it's ongoing and it's just her personality. She's kind of all over the place, but she's fun. She likes to snuggle. Um, and you know, she's, they're both very good and different in their own ways. Um, and you know, I think it helps the dynamics of the household, especially now during, uh, now that we're home all day. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, that's good. I mean, German Shepherds, um, they're fantastic dogs, but, you know, you can find there's a couple different camps. You've got really high drive German Shepherds, and then you've got sort of the typical laid back German Shepherds. And, you know, they're completely different animals. And mm -hmm. Belgian Malinois in general tend to be really high drive. Yep. So if you take a Belgian Malinois and mix it with a German Shepherd, yep. definitely a recipe for, you know, you better know how to keep them uh, busy. Otherwise, they're going to be destructive. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily she Shaka is the other dog. She's not destructive at all. Um, but, uh, her higher drive is definitely up there compared to Benson. Yeah. Um, so we, we try and keep her busy. We had a German shepherd growing up named Arthur and he's probably not probably he, he is the, um, the earliest dog that I can really remember growing up. And, uh, I grew up in a military family, so we would move every three to four years. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we had just moved to New York not too long ago and uh, we were getting to know the neighborhood kids and, and all that. Right. And we we're living on uh, military housing in New York. And so everyone around us was military kids. Yeah. And so, you know, we made some fast friends and 
one one day some people came out some of the kids in the neighborhood came out knocking on our door my mom went to the backyard or to the back door and was like hey what's going on and they're like can arthur come out and play because she thought they were going to come ask for my sister or i but she they wanted they wanted our dog to come outside (laughs) and play with them because uh he was just so friendly and he used to like pull them around on their sleds and and yeah stuff you know so our dog helped uh helped us make friends (laughs) oh (laughs) i see how it is yeah it was was a joke i mean they wanted us to come out too but they were just like so stoked that we had such a friendly dog who was big and you know willing to put up with all little kid stuff that goes along being a little kid you know (laughs) i've got got a soft spot in my heart for german shepherds but i've adopted all my dogs too i mean all my animals are adopted and so i just haven't really run across a german shepherd uh to be honest that was out there because they tend to be picked up fast yeah uh i was actually surprised too because i thought german shepherds were sort of like um this like high tier dog which i'm sure they are um uh and they they are uh and uh it's funny i think there were three other people at the shelter at the time when i was adopting denson and she there's this one woman who i'm sure she was a breeder because she was super weird Mm. um uh you know she was looking for german shepherds and she wanted to pick Benson up if we weren't going to adopt him <laughs> and it's funny because I think that might have been also a driver too on like adopting him because like I don't want her to end I don't want him to end up with her like we should just pick him up anyways because uh, there was another German Shepherd there too that was um, a lot younger and had a ton of energy but it was just like uh, like you know maybe we're not ready for that um, so uh, you know yeah so German yeah German Shepherds like they're a lot uh, you know you know, when I'd see pictures, you know, and I follow a, a couple of rescues and stuff, um, they don't come up too often. And I specifically follow a German Shepherd rescue and they don't post that often too. So I can only imagine they're. Yeah. And a lot of times they try to match them up with people with German Shepherd experience um, mm-hmm. or, you know, other like kind of dog handling experience because they are a big dog, you know, and if you get a high drive German Shepherd and you don't have any experience training a dog or, you know, working with dogs, then you'll yep. be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. I feel very blessed and lucky to have uh, the two dogs are very good in the house. Yeah. I mean, you know, labs are the same way. There's there's um, two different breeds of or lines of labs, which I didn't know anything about labs until I adopted the one that I have now. Mm. Um, but there's like a show line and then there's a working line. And the working line is like Marley and me. I don't know if you've heard of that book in the movie. Uh, I've heard of it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they get super destructive because they've got so much energy. Yeah. Uh, and then the other end, you've got like the the show line and they tend to be pretty laid back and, you know, yep. tend to get fat over time and all that kind of <laughs> stuff. Right. That's, that's the one I got. I got super lucky because, uh, yeah. you know, I would, I had a um, German shepherd, Australian shepherd mix is my other dog and she was mm. super high energy. Um, yep. And it wasn't, that was enough. Like if I had two, it would have been, <laughs> been too much. <laughs> it would have been way too much, yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think about, you know, what would, what would life be like if we did have, if we did end up adopting that Australian shepherd uh, initially? Because um, I know that would probably be a different story. I'm sure there'd be a lot of training that would need to be involved in. And yeah. I mean, you know, when a dog is that smart and high energy, because German shepherds are really smart dogs, um, but if they're not that high energy, you can sometimes get away with not keeping them occupied. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, Australian shepherds tend to be 
that mix of high energy and super smart. And so they sort of need a job. Like you need to give them something to do and think about every day. Yeah. Otherwise they just go crazy. Yeah. You know, because they've got mm-hmm. that, they got that need to move along with the the brains to really get into trouble. So yeah. Yep. Kind of like humans in a pandemic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I know. Um so how did you end up meeting Kiana? Do I say her name Kiana? How do you say her name? Oh, yeah, that's it. Okay. Yep, Kiana. Uh, we've been together for... Uh, no, I have to do some math here. Uh, we're, we're almost high school sweethearts. And, um, and uh, so, yeah, it's been 13, 14 years, I think, at this point. Um, and we've been married for... Uh, four years. Uh, we got married in 2016. Um, so we've, we've been together for a while, uh, moved to many places together. Uh, and you know, it's definitely been uh, quite an eventful journey together as well. And, um, you know, we, we both grew up in the same town. We went to different high schools, but we sort of have the same group of friends. So that's how we kind of met. Um, and, Kiana has always been into the coffee industry game. Um, you know, it's funny cause we both worked at Starbucks, uh, back then. And that's kind of how we sort of started to get common interests. So it's like, Oh, we sort of joke about, you know, working there and all the drinks and all the stuff. Uh, and you know, and it sort of evolved from there. Um, uh, and she's had, you know, m- multiple uh, jobs in coffee, um, and, different parts of the industry. So, you know, obviously as a barista, um, doing production, obviously roasting and doing all the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, Starbucks was really my only real coffee job. And I worked in multiple cafes that had coffee. Um, So, uh, you know, it's always been sort of part of my uh, service uh, career life in the past. Um, But uh, it's it's been on and off uh, for us, for sure. and, you know, we never really thought about starting a business until, you know, recently, it's a few years ago. Um, and it all sort of like culminated of just like, you know, and it all sort of stems back to, you know, it'd be cool to have some sort of like place to just sort of hang out and, you know, with this in mind or with this specific interest. Um, and also just because, you know, and, uh, Keanu could probably shed some light uh, on this probably down the road, but you know, there, there's also a lot of nuances in the coffee industry that tend to not go as well, or there's a lot of just ethics, uh, ethical issues, you know, as with every industry, you know, um, there's always going to be some sort of uh, problem that needs to be solved ethically and, you know, and workers rights and, and, and whatnot. And so, um, you know, a lot of that, you know, we, we also look to sort of solve for in that sense. Um, but one thing that seems to uh, sort of lack is, you know, more community spaces where, you know, a community spaces of a special interest. Um, and, you know, and when I started writing, uh, that's when it kind of like sparked uh, a lot of things where it's just like, well, gosh, like, you know, writing's really awesome. You know, are there places that people could just go and write? And so that's when we started to like just, doing all this research and stuff. And like, there's, and we, we found out there's a ton of places, obviously uh, outside of California. Uh, that's what I do. That's obviously in Oregon. I'm sure, you know, CC motorcycle coffee. And um, um, there's a, 
Spoken Moto up in Oregon as well. Uh, numerous ones in Southern California. So, and, you know, we were looking uh, here in Northern California. It's just like, what? There, uh, there's nothing really like that up here in Northern California. And, you know, there's Excelsior now, which is awesome. Um, and I think that's like the closest that we have here in the Bay Area, at least, uh, to sort of go over right now to. But it's also at the same time being in San Francisco, you know, they, they tailored, it seems like they tailored their spot to sort of a, a neighborhood community. Um, you know, and it's, you know, it's awesome that, you know, I, I just, I spoke to the owners there and they're all about the community, you know, and serving that community and reviving that area. And, you know, um, and, you know, we really love what they're doing. Um, and so some of our thought process was, was just like, well, you know, you know, uh, build a community as well as giving sort of, a reason for people to sort of get out uh, and go to as like a meetup spot um, and sort of have that as a community space for people to sort of just gather. Obviously it doesn't really apply now. Um, you know, it would be awesome to have. Um, and motorcycling sort of seems to tie some of that all together. And, um, you know, we are, it's funny. I was just, uh, we, we were on vacation a couple of weeks ago. We actually went up to Oregon just, just to like, see these coffee shops and seeing how they operate. And, you know, it's too bad that we went during a pandemic because we'd love to see what it looks like, you know, when there's just a buttload of people in there. And, we, and we've seen pictures in the past and, you know, but, but seeing sort of people just sort of roll up park and sort of, you know, obviously socially distancing, hanging out with their masks on um, was really nice to see um, that people just sort of stroll up, grab a coffee, hang out outside for, hours and on uh, and whatnot just and just sort of catch up um and you know it'd be great to have something like that here uh but you know so that that that's sort of something that we're trying to look forward to to solving for um and you know motorcycling sort of helps uh be distant in a way also uh and you know, and it's a one person sort of hobby also. So it sort of helps eliminate some gatherings, but at the same time, you know, you can still somewhat do that, if that makes sense. I don't know. I was kind of talking out loud, but, you know, ha having, having a space like that, that share common interests and, you know, that does interest others as well is, is something that would that'd be great up here. And so that, that's kind of where Golden Hour sort of stemmed from. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as like, Kiana and you know her her coffee sort of uh, expertise sort of helps um, mend some of the stuff together. You know, I'm more of like the motorcycling side, and you know some of the uh, obviously the business, financial, uh, logistical things, and then Kiana's like the actual product uh, itself. So we're banding the two together um, to hopefully you know we'll, we'll see we'll see how it ends up. And, you know, it's obviously it's a little harder now, but hopefully in the next year or so, um, we'll just start to see some significant things happening. Yeah. So I know on your guys' website, uh, under your bio, you'd mentioned that you'd noticed a gap in the community of the Bay Area writers. Was, was this what you were talking about, like a specific place for Bay Area writers to come together for coffee? Or was there some other aspect of the community that you thought was um, yeah. kind of lacking? You know, yeah, that that that's sort of where I was coming from. I mean, there are multiple places that um, in, in the Bay Area that motorcyclists meet up here in the Bay Area. 
Um, obviously Alice is the historic one, you know, that people would go to. Um, but you know, and I've been at Alice's multiple times and it's interesting to see like, because it's so well known, there's a lot of writers that just come through there, uh, as well as people in cars. Um, and it becomes sort of this niche place, um, that almost seems like you're too cool to sort of be there and you know for a lot of new writers and this was another focus for us too is that you know we want people to start writing and you know we we welcome new writers and get encouraged because you know it's it's you know it's a fun hobby it's it's economical to a certain extent um and you know it's less cars on the road given the bay area so you know there, there's a lot of uh pluses and this sort of getting into it so you know a part of our mission too was sort of to encourage people to start writing um, and, you know, thinking about some of all these places that have, you know, been historically a meetup spot, you know, uh, and I, just being from an outsider, just observing it and, you know, going through forums and stuff, you know, some people are a little bit intimidated, um, of some of these places just because, you know, a lot of people write in groups, packs, and no one just kind no one just kind of shows up by themselves, uh, to just sort of like try and meet friends. Um, so, and you know, that, that's gonna, you know, not bring that much encouragement for new writers for sure. So, um, you know, while these places are awesome and they're good meetup spots, you know, we want to help tailor some of these, you know, how, how do we be more welcoming, uh, for new writers, um, and people who want to learn more, uh, cause a lot of the things it's like, you know, if we do had a cafe, it'd be great to just like, you know, set up cones in the parking lot and do just do like new writer drills and, you know, learn how to, you know, how to corner properly, do slow speed maneuvers on a Honda Grom or something like that, you know? So something fun like that, um, to help sort of bring a crowd in, um, and, you know, just sort of learn from each other as opposed to being like, you know, showing up on your brand new Ducati kind of golly. It's like, man, I'm not as fast as him. Like, uh, I don't feel like I should hang out with him. So, you know, and I, obviously motorcycling naturally comes with a lot of ego as well. So, you know, there's a lot, that kind of has to be tabled somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's also something that we, we try and, and do as well and promote is like, you know, leave your ego at home. Cause obviously that's also what makes you crash. That's also, you know, it doesn't, it's not welcoming at the same time for, for other people. Ironically, I think that, um, on the online community is one way to help bridge that, uh, feeling of, not wanting to show up somewhere alone. Uh, I've kind of found that because I'm part of a few discord servers now that are sort of motorcycle related. And yeah. one in particular has an Arizona based um, room or whatever they call them on Discord mm -hmm. channel. I don't know. Uh, and a lot of the folks there, you know, they, they come into this discord server as individuals who may not know anyone else on the server. Then they start talking, they move over into the Arizona room and they're talking more there. And the next thing you know, they're planning meetups and they're total strangers who are now going to go show up somewhere and ride. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so I think that that can help take the edge off because you're right. A lot of people sure. do have a lot of anxiety about just showing up somewhere alone, especially if you're new to that hobby or to that lifestyle, mm -hmm. you know, like you don't want to be the guy or girl who's making the uh, social faux pas um, and not have anyone around you to kind of be your support. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. So. There's definitely digital outlets, especially in the internet. And, uh, and it's weird. It's like, it's almost like 
marketed by word of mouth. You know, it's it's actually kind of hard to find sort of communities like that, even online. It's just like searching. It's like, oh, it's like the Discord server. I actually had no idea like some of this stuff existed. Um, but I like, man, I know there's like the barrier writers forums, um, which is a good resource, but also I think there's also a lot of just long timers on there as well. Um, that is also intimidating at the same time, uh, mm -hmm. which is why I don't post that often there. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think online for sure there, there could be a better presence, um, for like welcoming new people, new writers. Reddit's been a great forum. Uh, you know, there's a Bay Writers Reddit, uh, there's a new writers Reddit. And so some people post about just getting help and just the stupidest thing, I'm not, sorry, not stupid. <laughs> just like the smallest things. Like, how do I, how do I put gas in my tank? Yep. Like, you know, like in a car, you just put it in and it's like, but with a motorcycle, you don't really have that luxury to just stick it. You got to do the thing depending what state you are. And, you know, some people think it's a stupid question, but it's, you know, it's totally not, you know, yeah, a lot I mean, of are wondering. anything's an easy or stupid or whatever, however someone wants to phrase it question, if you've got a lot of experience with it, you know, but yeah. if, if you have no experience and there's no, there's really no such thing as a stupid question. Now I feel like in life, there's some lazy questions um, <laughs> yeah. where, you know, if someone for instance, you know, I'm, I'm in a, in a number of groups and uh, I'm a big cigar fan. And um, so I'm in these cigar groups and you get people who come into the group and they ask the same questions over and over and over that have been answered. It's like if they'd have done a single search in the group, they would have found 50 different, um, yep. you know, posts answering their question. Uh, and like you were talking about earlier about how you see, you know, the same posts from someone over and over and you get tuned out basically. And I think it's the same thing when you get the same sort of uh, question or the same post type every single day where it's like, well, you start losing engagement with the group because it's almost becoming spam. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. There's nothing, there's no new content to engage with. Um, so to speak. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, like I said, I feel like there are some lazy questions. Now, sometimes, you know, you may ask a lazy question just because you don't even realize that it's such a popular question to ask. Um, but I tend to be an over-researcher in general anyway. So for me, I'm always like, I can't believe someone didn't Google that, you know, <laughs> when they ask things. Let me, let me help you. <laughs> <laughs> there, there used to be a website, and I don't know if it still exists, where it was called like, let me Google that for you. Yes, it still exists. Yeah. Right. I used to love that thing. I would go and uh, I would post a link and then they'd click it and it would just be like the letters typing search. into Google. <laughs> but it, it animated, right? I was yeah. animate, animate the whole like question being put in there. And then. I only know that because someone was trolling somebody at work because uh, <laughs> someone did exactly that. It was just asked a question like, oh, let me Google that for you. <laughs> You know, I tend to have a lot more patience now. I think as you get older, hopefully, you know, your your maturity gets, you know, develops further and you know, your patience develops. But definitely when I was younger, I would get more annoyed with people who just wouldn't ever look for stuff for themselves. Yeah. You know, um, and I and I know that I was probably part of the reason some people get intimidated asking questions in like group forums and stuff. So now I kind of feel bad looking back at it. Um <laughs> But, you know, that's why I do my best now to be as, you know, patient. I'll answer a lot of questions like that in the different groups I'm, I'm in. Yeah. Hey, yeah. this is what it is. And then that way we can all be done with the, 
<sighs> with that particular question and, and move on. But. Move on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely something that uh, we all need to sort of be very um, um, conscious about, you know, uh, not everybody knows the same thing and obviously, you know, someone's got to start somewhere. So I think patience definitely helps uh, with a lot of, not a lot of new folks. Cause as much as someone could search for something like, as you mentioned, it, there, there, are, there are lazy ways and then there are proactive ways and you can, yeah, you can't really expect people to just be active all the time because it's the easiest way. The least path of resistance is just to ask somebody. Exactly. You know? um, yeah. And it goes for everything. Yeah. So to get back to kind of online communities though, I, I will say one of the things that um, I've discovered, cause I just started writing in April. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know, so I've been kind of looking for the different community aspect of this whole uh, motorcycle thing as well. And, and, one of the reasons I've engaged so much with YouTube was that uh, the community actually ended up being really helpful and friendly. Um, and some of like discord servers that I've found and uh, some of the friends that I've made uh, in the motorcycle community have all stemmed from YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it really, you know, it bolstered my idea of, you know, hopping onto YouTube and trying to have my own presence on YouTube because I already was interested in it. And the fact that I was getting such good engagement with people and having so much fun talking um, and, and getting on people's lives and things like yeah. that. You know, so. Yeah. There's a lot of great content creators out there mm -hmm. um, with motorcycling. Yeah. I saw you interview Doodle, uh, oh, yeah. uh, Megan Stark, you know, we, we've, we've touched base with her too. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of just great content creators that just isn't really about motorcycling. It's just more of like the, the human aspect of it, I guess. Um, and like culturally. So, and it's good to see their sort of localized views on how things are out there, how it is for, you know, women, how it is for just, you know, minorities or whatever. Um, and, you know, I find myself watching, uh, you know, these videos on YouTube just all the time, just randomly. Cause it's like, Oh yeah, let's just see what's going on there. And um, so, you know, I'm really glad like there's a lot of just sort of dedicated uh, content creators out there uh, just because I think it really helps sort of build that um, even at a global scale. I know they've gotten some international uh, sort of recognition as well um, here and there. So, which is, which is really good. Yeah. So, you said you, you met Kiana back in high school, essentially not in the yeah. same school, but through friends. Yep. And now did you, did you both work at the same Starbucks or were you guys working at different? No, Starbucks? different Starbucks. You know, at the time when we met, I was just, it was one of those things where it's just like, yeah, you know, you're trying to like talk to them and, you know, say, Hey, you want to go out sometime? And so I kind of mentally, it was like a fine line of just like, like we can't, be at the same job <laughs> or like we can't work at the same store. That's smart. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, different, different Starbucks. Um, okay. but I think, I think sharing sort of our, our, uh, the same, um, uh, interests, uh, was very, very, uh, funny and fun. So but I'm curious when you started working for Starbucks, was it because you'd already had an interest in coffee or was it because you had an in interest in Kiana who had an interest in coffee? Uh, so, 
That's, that's a very interesting question. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it, so she worked there before I ever touched the Starbucks. Um, and I, I think it was one thing to where we both found at the same time. So I say like, I like, I like coffee. So I guess you could say to answer that question, um, I was more interested in the coffee side. Um, and I was like, Starbucks looks like a cool place. Like obviously they, they pay decent with benefits of blah, 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 whatever. And it's coffee. Um, and then it was shortly after to where I, I did realize that she also worked there. So it was kind of like a funny coincidence. Um, so, and that, and that's where it kind of started to ramp up from there. Okay. So was your first date at a coffee shop? Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't really call it a date. Uh, it's, oh man, it's, it's so weird to think about how like people would like hang out back then compared to now. Cause it's just like, you always hang out with a group of friends and you know, sometimes you get too nervous. So you bring your friend with you as a third wheel and then, and then, and then you start to go on like one-on-one dates. But a lot of the times, like more than half the time, it was at a coffee shop, which was a Starbucks. Um, and then obviously like go out and have dinner somewhere and whatnot. Uh, for a while, we used to live um, about an hour and a half away. So um, I lived in a town called Rhodesville, or I should say Lincoln, um, which is neighboring Roseville, Sacramento Valley area. And she would live in um, Sassoon, which is in Fairfield. So um, she also moved to Sacramento for college. Uh, so we would be two hours away. Uh, I'm sorry, not, not Sacramento, San Francisco. Um, and, you know, at that point, we would be, you know, two hours away. And so uh, we wouldn't see each other throughout the week. Uh, and then, you know, she would come from San Francisco all the way to Sacramento Valley every weekend for like a day, um, you know, just to like hang out and stuff and, you know, vice versa every weekend. So, uh, for a while it was that way. And then we moved in with each other uh, after she graduated. And so I, I went back to school. Um, so I moved out with my parents, went back to school in the Bay area. Um, and, uh, we were, we would uh, live with each other, live with each other ever since. Um, and we like apartment hop on all over Oakland. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of when all that started. So I thought on her, um, LinkedIn page, I saw that she went to California state in Sacramento. Yes. Um, so she went to both. Okay. Yeah. So she went to, um, SS state at first and then she finished off in Sacramento. Okay. So then, um, did she end up getting her degree in theater then? Theater. Yep. Yep. She ended up finishing in theater. Uh, and she used to work in a technical, uh, stage, stage technical, uh, director. So, and a lot of it in, in production, backstage production. Mm-hmm. Um, so she would sort of like build the props and, and, you know, work, work with, uh, the stage masters and, and whatnot. And so she would be sort of the back of the house to, to help run all the, run all the, run all the stuff. And so what did you end up, um, going to school for? So I went to school uh, at a place called Expression College uh, in Emeryville for uh, audio engineering. And that sort of came across just because I've always been sort of a, a music inspired, audio inspired sort of um, production. Uh, you know, I, I would like record my own music at home, even living with my parents. I would like make music, like electronic music, and I'd have all these like mini controllers and whatnot. Um, and then I also did sort of like live 
music production. Um, I make electronic music and I perform it live a while ago. Um, and so I was just like, well, let's, let's kind of dig into this a little deeper. So the, you know, expression who are now owned by SAE, um, you know, they taught audio engineering, they taught motion graphics, they taught, um, uh, visual arts, like 3d animation. Um, and I think they just stemmed out to video game audio. Um, but I went for audio production. So learning how to mix and master and record things on, you know, $3,000 microphones and like big audio consoles that were done, you know, like Led Zeppelin recorded their, their second album on this thing, you know, and stuff like that. So a lot of it was just sort of like a novelty, uh, but the actual learning, the concepts of it was, was, um, really inspiring and really fun. Um, but it was an, an intense program because it was a two and a half year program uh for a four-year bachelor's so it's, it was an accelerated program and um i would have classes where i would take like you know six to seven hours of lecture throughout the day go back home and come back at 6 p.m to have a lab for another you know six hours so i'd be at school for you know 18 hours in a day um so it was a pretty rough schedule, but I think the way they sort of tailored the class made it made it interesting and engageful and engaging. So where it's like you don't even actually think about time. Um, and you know, l- luckily I had some you know financial help, sort of to you know pay rent and whatnot. And then I would have a part time job working at a cafe just sort of down the street, sort of pay help with some expenses. Um, but yeah, I I did it in a little less than two and a half years. Um, uh, and that's where my career in AV started right after. Um, and it, it, it's funny because going to school like expression, uh, you know, they, they sort of market having this dream of working on really big movies or really big video games and doing large productions. <laughs> and then people graduate and they end up working on a construction site. It's like, wait, like, like what, what just happened? Because uh, my first job out of out of college was uh, with an uh, audiovisual integrator, um, and the first thing that they do is just sort of as your entry level step in is you know be an installer. Um, so even though your title is audiovisual, you're stuck putting you're, you're stuck in a construction site pulling audio cables and data cables, uh, you know, from one ceiling to another, and you're on a ladder and you're like, wait, this isn't anything audio visual at all. And so a lot of folks really got discouraged, um, right out of college. Um, and you know, going into AV and so they would try, not try. And, you know, some people did, a lot of people did succeed. A lot of people did not succeed, you know, going into production, um, live sound, you know, you know, doing more of the creative parts of it, but it's, and it's, has been and it still is such a competitive industry um that there is like not enough work out there for the amount of technicians and creatives that are out there um and you know when it comes to like video games and movies they're always going to go out to who does the best work and not like the kid who just graduated college you know so it was super competitive um and i sort of like bit the bullet and sort of accepted that reality and you know tended to more to go to more of a realistic long-term plan for myself so i i stuck it out uh, you know doing instruction in audiovisual for a year 
in different corporate sites and then obviously stemmed up from there. Um, and I guess you could say it kind of paid off, which was good. Um, you know, things aren't too bad. You know, I, I, I work for a tech company doing it in San Francisco, um, you know, running their audiovisual program. So, um, it's not, that's not, it's not too bad. Alva, I do wish looking back, like, you know, what if I did work on like a really big video game or a really big movie, you know, that would have been awesome, but it also would have been very short term and I'd be hustling for the next gig right after. Yeah. Sorry, my cat is uh, all good. <laughs> coming for attention. I'm waiting until my cat uh, hops on my on my table. She, uh, she sleeps <laughs> most of the day. This is the cat, my very first cat ever. Um, her name's Aiko, and oh, she uh, she was one of those cats that got abandoned during the housing crash. Mm. Um, I think that someone just like left their house and to the bank and couldn't take their cat and she's ended up being a stray in my neighborhood. Um, but anyway, so she normally sleeps all day, but she gets these like small bursts where she's like, oh, I, haven't, I haven't seen him in a while. Let's, let's go, let's go make him pet me. Let's go bother him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he's doing something. He's doing something important. Let's go bug him. Pretty much. When I first got her, <laughs> I was going to school and she would lay on my homework all the time. Oh my God. You just come over. I'd be at the desk, like try, trying to do my homework and she would just come and lay right on the pages. <sighs> Typical. <laughs> Typical cat. Oh yeah, definitely. Which by, by the way, this that I'm drinking here is your guys's coffee. Oh, and awesome. I'll have to apologize if there's cream in it. Um, I'm, no. doing, <laughs> I'm doing this diet and um, I started it before I ordered any of your guys's coffee. Uh, and so you have to like plan out the macronutrients that you're taking in for each meal. And so I've got like a certain amount of fat that I have to consume for oh, breakfast. Interesting. And, um, you know, I don't really have any other fat sources that I want to have for breakfast besides a little bit of cream. Yeah. Coffee. So it's like that or like melt some butter in it and I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> you are allowed to enjoy it however you want. Well, my own view before dieting was always if the coffee was good, I like to have it without cream. And yeah. if it's only so-so, I would put cream in it. And if, yeah. it's, if it's terrible, then I put cream and sugar. Yeah, cream and sugar. <laughs> yeah. If, you, if you end up going to a Denny's or like a gas station, you kind of have, you're, you're kind of forced exactly. to at that point. Yeah, it doesn't even taste like coffee at that point. You know? <laughs> uh, but so. I'm, glad, I'm glad you're enjoying it. I'm glad you're drinking it. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually really good. I was concerned because I typically, I love coffee, but I'm like, I'm a terrible connoisseur, I guess you would say, because yeah. the coffee that I tend to like, it would be considered over roasted, um, mm. where people complain about Starbucks having burnt beans. I love that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like to me that that I, I really enjoy that. Um, yeah, and yeah. That's that's funny you mentioned it because, you know, we just recently had a conversation, you know, me and Ken were just talking about like Pete's and Starbucks, like how they have their, everything's dark. Everyone wants dark. And I'm like, well, that's not a bad thing, you know, cause people actually want that stuff. So there's no harm in, you know, trying to shape your coffee and force people to drink of what's right. You know, yeah. cause there is no right answer. It's just how we currently make it and how we saw we, how we think it's good. Like, sure. There's like, yeah, it could taste like honey. It could taste like lavender. It could taste however you want it. But if people just want dark coffee because they know that's how it tastes and that's what they want. And that's maybe that's what they're used to, you know, that's okay. So 
Yeah. Well, it's actually a couple, there's a couple different reasons for me. Number one, um, a lighter roast tends to give me palpitations, mm-hmm. you know, cause of the higher con- caffeine content. Um, and I prefer to be able to drink a couple of cups a day. Um, but if I drink a lighter roast, medium is about as light as I can get and have a cup of coffee because anything lighter than that. And I mean, immediately I start getting heart palpitations. Yeah. Uh, and that makes coffee not enjoyable. Yeah. You know? Um, and then additionally, sometimes even the medium roast, it's like I can have one cup, but if I try to have my second cup, I start getting palpitations. Yep. You know, and I just, I'm a creature of habit and I like to have two cups of coffee a day. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's one aspect. The other aspect is that I typically prefer more of the bitter flavor of coffee than a sour flavor. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the lighter, more, I don't know, connoisseur uh, way of roasting leaves kind of a sour taste to the coffee. Yep. Um, and I don't know. I just, I don't like sour as much as I like bitter. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, I, yep. I completely get it. And there's, there's definitely an area where it's just like, you know, I don't even, this stuff barely doesn't even taste like coffee anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I prefer sort of the bitterness as well. Um, and it's so funny. You mentioned how heart, palpitations because i've had coffee where it's like super like lightly roasted and you know and it's it's good but yeah after like a cup i'm like i i I don't know like i'm like shaking i'm like can't like i don't know if i can breathe um so yeah we we try and avoid that you know there's a lot of coffee companies that do that and oh yeah I mean, you guys struck, I think, a good balance because I can taste a hint of the sourness in your coffee. So I think the coffee connoisseurs are going to be like, oh, they didn't overroast their beans, right? Yeah. But then people like me aren't going, oh, God, this is another cup of sour coffee, you know? Yeah. And I get it. A lighter <laughs> roast, you can taste more of the different flavors or whatever. Yeah. Um, but even, for instance, with my cigars, people are always talking about what they can taste in the cigar. And I'm always just like, it just tastes like smoke. And that's what I want it to taste like. So do cigars have like taste notes too? Do they oh do my that? God. Oh my really? God. Okay. Yes. And then people, you know, they talk about the whole retrohale and it, it's just blowing it out your nose. Right. Because so much of taste is smell. Yeah. But with cigars, you don't inhale. Right. So you, you just bring the smoke into your mouth. Yeah. And if you're not retrohaling, then you're not getting all of the taste of the cigar tobacco because realistically, I mean, it's a handcrafted um, product and they're trying to like, they have people who are master blenders and they're, they're trying to blend for a certain flavor. Um, and there are people out there who claim that they can taste things like black pepper and nutmeg and, yeah. you know, <laughs> anise and all this yeah. stuff. And, and you know, maybe, maybe there are some people with like super palates who can taste that stuff. Yep. I can't taste any of that. Yeah. I'm, I'm really straight up about it too. And I'm just like, you know, I can taste spicy and I can taste earthy. Yeah. Um, you know, bitterness, you can taste bitter, like some of the real basics, but people who are able to pull out like, Oh, this is like the flavor of an almond that's been toasted for 20 minutes, you know, under, you know, 350 degree heat. Like, I don't, I don't get it. (laughs) Uh, sorry, I have to. My my dogs are howling right now. Okay, Benson, stop. Okay, all right. We need to close this door. You guys they just need, need some out. attention, or yeah, 
when they hear something and it's just setting them off. All right, everyone outside. 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 Come on, Danny. All right. <laughs> I had to lock one of my cats up because she was she's very vocal. Actually, I've got two cats that are really vocal, but one is already uh, sleeping. The other one was just walking around the desk going, wah, 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 you know, <laughs> so I had to put her in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. You're being white. Yeah. If you listen to my Brandon Picasso episode for like the first 15, 20 minutes, my cat Lucy is just meowing and meowing uh, and meowing. And I'm so used to it that I didn't notice it at first uh, until I was listening to it back editing. And I was like, Oh my God, Lucy's in the like background. Just like <laughs> talking up the storm. Uh, it would have ruined it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's part of owning pets, right? Oh yeah. And, and being at home and, and all that. Yeah, I know it's, it's funny, like being on calls, even at work, it's just like, my my colleagues got kids and just screaming in the background and they just like they're not even phased yeah like uh okay <laughs> like you can mute but i guess you don't really notice that there's sound behind you <laughs> well i mean I, I think a lot of people are kind of understanding that you can't really keep kids quiet to a lot of extent you know I mean, yeah yeah back when I was getting raised, my dad might smack us and be like, quiet, you know, yep. work, but, but in 2020, that sounds like, uh, you know, yeah. you recording of smacking your kids. That, that's a good way to go to jail. <laughs> yep. Yep. You would be retweeted a couple million times. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm not advocating for hitting your kids. Anyone listening to this, I'm just saying. The time. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm Filipino and, you know, being raised in an Asian family, that is just the norm, you know, and yeah. obviously that, that's just me being stereotypical and biased, but uh, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. It's like we, and I always tease my, my friends and one of our, uh, you know, Filipino. It's like, Oh, you're going to whip out the bell or you're going to take off the slipper and you know go to your room or else i'll blah 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 uh <laughs> it's just funny just growing up and seeing what what how how you know we would get disciplined and stuff it's like oh maybe that's why maybe i did work you know end up being okay because i got <laughs> slapped in my butt with a slipper <laughs> you know i i think every experience shapes us uh for better or for worse and yeah. uh, at, at the end of the day it's, it's as long as people aren't going too far, I feel like it's, it's not that much of a problem. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's like, well, what's that line, you know, because kids are like animals. I mean, to some extent when they're, when they're super young, right. I mean, they just don't understand things. And so if they don't, I had a friend and I'm kind of regurgitating her words cause I don't have children, but she does. And we were having this discussion one day about because I'm not really that I wasn't really that anti spanking, you know, I'm like, hey, whatever, spank your kids, don't spank your kids, they're yours. Um, <laughs> but but she was kind of making a point that, um, you know, if the kid is too young to understand what you're talking to them, like trying to explain to them about why they shouldn't do something or whatever, why do you expect them to understand that the reason that you're hitting them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. And I was like, okay, that's kind of a valid point, I suppose. Fair. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway. yeah so you uh you said that you um are filipino descent have you been to the philippines or yes yep uh once a long time ago when i was uh gosh i was like five so a lot of it was just very distant memories um 
Um, and I, and I went with my, uh, immediate family and we, we have extended family on my dad's side who lives there. And my dad was born and raised in the Philippines. Um, and he immigrated to the U S when he was gosh, 17 or 18 for work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but we still have family there. Um, and my relatives still visit, you know, um, you know, every so often. Um, but I do would love to go back, um, and see my family, um, sometime in the future, uh, just cause I know Philippines has changed quite a bit since I've, since I've been there. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I don't think for the better, I want to say, uh, as I know they're going through some hardships, you know, especially with their, um, their president right now. Uh, so, you know, thing, you know, but you know, they're, they're doing well. Um, you know, my, my, my dad obviously like, uh, you know, loves going back to the Philippines and, you know, sort of seeing how things are back there and, uh, and just like culturally and just sort of like the, the living uh, aspect of it is just so, um, um, it's homey, you know, it's very welcoming. You know, Filipinos, I think generally are just very hospitable. Uh, you know, you go into like a, if you go into like a, a nursing home or hospital, you know, half the staff is like Filipino and, you know, it's like, and there, there, there's that, there's that joke that people always say, like, you know, why are all nurses Filipino? It's like, well, because I think we're just naturally hospitable. Uh, uh, but I, I, it's just, you know, it's just something to always look forward to, you know, if we ever do go there, um, just how welcoming it is. And I, I think it's the same way with a lot of, like, um, Southeast Asia. So, you know, we, we've been to Vietnam, and, you know, everyone was super nice and everything. Everyone was very, like, family first. Um, so it, it was good to see some of that. Um, going over there. So um, hopefully I'm not uh, mixing up my my countries, but I think in the Philippines is the language uh, Tagalog or Tagalog, yeah. Tagalog, thank you. Yeah, Tagalog. And then, um, That's the main language. I think that they they speak some English fairly commonly yes. out there too, right? Yep. So do, do you speak the the language or? No, no. Uh, my dad does. Yeah, he's fluent. Um, and all of my dad's side, he's fluent. Uh, my mom can understand a little bit. Um, so she can translate something like, like that, but she doesn't speak. Um, but no, no, no one, uh, I don't speak Tagalog. I would love to, I would love to learn a second language. Um, but obviously that's, that's, that takes time. <laughs> oh man, I have been trying so hard, uh, to learn a second language. I started out trying to learn German when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as an adult, I actually went to um, ASU, Arizona State University out here for a few years to learn Japanese. Um, and then my girlfriend is from Mexico. So I've been trying to learn Spanish recently. Mm-hmm. And I just, as much as I love languages, I feel like I'm just language dumb, you know, I mean, <laughs> no matter how much I practice, uh, I yeah. just, my memory sucks. Um, it definitely so, helps to be ingrained in the environment too. Yeah, I'm like yeah. I'm trying to encourage my sister who's got a baby now, like get her started speaking another language. And I'm always sad when I hear someone whose family speaks another language doesn't teach their kids. And I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, such a missed opportunity, you know. I know. But anyway, I don't yeah. know how you feel about it, but no, I I agree. You know, I think we've, you know, as as English is sort of like the world the world language. Um, and some, in, in actually, in a lot of cases, you know, I feel like there might be a time in the future where that might no longer be the case because, um, you know, as, as other countries become, as they evolve and, you know, 
uh, obviously there's Spanish and German and all these other big languages, you know, and there's a lot of people in the U S that just like, that I know that just want to speak another language. So, uh, I, you know, it's, it's interesting to see how, you know, classes before, you know, it was like a requirement to learn Spanish or French or, uh, you know, uh, or, or German because of, you know, there, there's, I don't know if it was just like more opportunity to speak those languages somewhere else that's more important from like a, uh, a cultural society perspective. But, you know, I think as more, uh, cultures start to be infused in the U S and even in other countries, like, like we shouldn't be limited to just those three languages to learn in school. Um, and then maybe that's now changing because now that we're all online, you know, there'll be more opportunities for that. So, um, but I, I agree. Like, I think learning a another language is something that is taken for granted in a lot of ways. Um, cause you don't realize how much you need until you get older. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean, studies have shown, you know, people who learn a second language, um, their brains somehow function better, you know, and mm -hmm. it, it just gives you an advantage, um, you know, in life and in school. And it's like, why yeah. not, you know, why not get your kids learning a second language? Um, yeah. Yeah. From an early age when it's easy, you know. <laughs> yep, exactly. Versus as an adult when it's like everything's baked in and I'm, you know, staring at you know, flashcards or <laughs> I use these Pimsleur audio, um, you know, lessons to learn Spanish and I'm trying to remember everything that I learned in the last lesson. Yeah. So I used uh, Duolingo a lot and I, I tried I got, it and it, it glitched. Uh, oh, it, really? It glitched and um, it found, I got, I reached a question where you could not pick the right answer. So I tried <laughs> picking, I picked every answer cause you know, it's multiple choice for a lot of them. Yep. And I picked every one and it would keep telling me I was wrong. And so I finally just deleted it off my phone because I was so frustrated I couldn't get past this one section. So. Yeah. Ugh, that's annoying. <laughs> that and I just know the rumor, uh, I know Duolingo yells at you if you're not using the app. Like, if are you have the notifications turned on, <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Which sometimes you need that, right? Like uh, yeah. people get lazy or they get tired. and uh, Yeah, just need that nudge. Yeah. So did the motorcycles come before coffee or did coffee come before motorcycles? When, when did you start getting into motorcycles? Coffee came before motorcycles. Um, and I started riding in 2018, uh, summer of 2018. Um, and it all sort of stemmed. I, I never would have thought about riding motorcycles at all. Um, you know, back then I never even like thought about it. Like, when I was like 18, you know, in my early twenties, uh, or, you know, just even before I turned 30, like I see a motorcycle and just be like, eh, like whatever it's loud, you know, they go fast, you know, uh, Oh, I'm sure it's going to hurt if he gets into an accident, you know, obviously just the general thoughts of, you know, someone, uh, a bypasser. And it wasn't until, um, uh, 20 or early 2018 to where, uh, and all of this is, so I will say motorcycling was driven by commute, uh, for me. Um, and the only reason why I thought about motorcycling was because it was so hard to get to the office in San Francisco. Cause I, I've, I've born and raised in the East Bay all my life and traffic going in San Francisco was just getting worse and worse. Um, 
BART was becoming less of an option just because of the crime and the sanitary aspect of it. Um, and it was just becoming overcrowded, um, you know, and it just wasn't really a fun, viable option that I wanted to consider. Uh, driving is obviously out the window. <laughs> so I was like, well, what's the other option? It's like, oh, well, you can lane split with motorcycling and, you know, you can zip in and out in the city. Like, it, you know, you get to be in the carpool lane. Uh, you know, there's all these benefits for commute. And so it's just like, why, why, why haven't I been doing this? So that was like the, the early summer of 2018 where I started to really look into it and you see what it's all about. And the first thing I was just like, well, I don't really want to go all out. Cause I, this is, uh, you know, I just, it's just going to be for commuting. Um, I need to like get on the highway. It needs to be like fast enough to get on the highway. And, um, you know, and I initially was looking at scooters um, and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to, you know, look into scooters and like Vespa's, you know, they, they go up to like 300 cc's like, oh, okay, so this is big enough to go, you know, 65 miles per hour, you know, steadily across the Bay bridge and you know, whatnot. It's like, okay, so let's look into that. So I started like, you know, window shopping online and, you know, went to a dealership just to like poke around. Uh, and then, you know, I was like, okay, so how do I get my license? I was like, okay. So, uh, I could either just like ride it and take a test, a writing test at the DMV, take a writing test and done, or I can take the MSF class. Um, and then I was looking at the requirements. I was like, well, if I want to ride a large Vespa, I need to have my motorcycle license anyways. So I took the MSF class um, and, you know, I started off, it was a uh, Kawasaki Eliminator 125 uh, and they had that uh, or they had the, uh, the Grom, uh, like a 150 Grom. And, you know, from an aesthetics perspective, it's just like, oh man, I want to like ride a, a, a cruiser, um, you know, you know, get the vintage aesthetic feel. Cause I, you know, Grom, that's like two, like, it was too, uh, gosh, I was still associating things of like modern bikes to like rice rockets, uh, and you know, sort of like scooty boys with that armor, you know, all that. Right. Uh, so I was like looking for more of like the vintage feel. So I was like, yeah, Kawasaki Eliminator, that's cruiser style. looks awesome. So I rode that. Um, and when I was like doing the laps around the parking lot and around the cones and doing it with the instructors, it was just like, man, this is pretty fun, you know? Uh, and like, I never would have thought like, cause I rode a scooter. My sister had a 125 Yamaha, uh, Vino and I rode that thing around the block and, you know, it was pretty, it was fun, but it wasn't like amazing. Like, you know, it was fun to just zip around, but like being, you know, feeling the engagement of how much is involved with riding a motorcycle. It's like, wow. Like, like I feel like, I feel like I'm controlling a spaceship or something. You know, so I found that really engaging and, you know, and, and really fun to just even just around the parking lot. So that was kind of like what really reeled me in. So, you know, I passed the course, passed the DMV tests and um, proceeded to buy my first motorcycle as opposed to a scooter, which was a uh, 2010 Triumph T100, um, uh, which is a big bike, you know, especially for a first time bike. Um, which I still have, uh, it's now become my project bike that I'm now modding, uh, constantly. Uh, how do you mod something in California? Uh, you just don't <laughs> tell, you just don't say, <laughs> no, I don't ride it on the street. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, it being my first bike, I was just like, you know, I definitely had the confidence. I was just like, yeah, I can ride this. And, you know, um, 
like I'm sure I'm going to drop it, but I'll be really careful. Uh, and you know, and like the second or third time I took it out of my uh, driveway, I, I, I low sided making a right turn out of my drive, like right outside my driveway into this like loose gravel. And I'm like, this sucks. Uh, and you know, obviously it's a learning curve. I was bummed out and just kind of like sat there for a minute. Um, but you know, onwards and upwards. And I proceeded to drop it another like nine times after that. Um, but every time you drop it, it's just, you learn from it. Um, See, this is why my very first mod and my only mod so far has been an engine guard. Yes. <laughs> Actually the, the guy at my dealership when I bought it was like, you need some sliders, but I go get some sliders. I'm like, okay. And thank goodness. Yes. I would have been screwed. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because, you know, I think back to the time and this is this was sort of my thought process with um, what what to buy and, and what to upgrade or mod or whatever. And I think back to when I first started driving a car, you know, and I was 16 and I got into like three accidents the first year that I was driving. Mm. And the, obviously the consequences are much lower um, when you're in a car. And I thought to myself, you know. I know I've been driving for a long time, but I've not been riding a motorcycle. So I'm going to go with something smallish, you know, and I'm going to put some crash bars on it and don't get too sad if I drop it. You know, like yeah. if I, if I set that bar in my own head that I'm never going to drop it, then I'm just going to be frustrated and disappointed. But if I go into it saying, you know what, you're new, you're going to drop it. Then when it happens, it's easy to be like, well, I knew this was going to happen. Yep. No biggie. Yeah. So, exactly yeah yeah i know it's a bummer when you buy a new bike and you're like don't drop it uh, don't drop it um i i have i have two other bikes and they're both they're, they're all triumphs i'm a triumph fanboy uh, uh it's a street triple and a tiger 1200 and uh you know i took my tiger 1200 out out to the dirt with a couple friends um we were going camping and this was up in like the big Sur, like mountain hills and stuff. And, and man, it was, it was fun going up the hill, but you know, it was a big lesson learned of like, you know, this, uh, you get to understand how the bike truly rides in certain situations. And I learned that the hard way on my 1200, uh, going through up a steep hill, a steep Sandy Hill on stock tires, stock street stock tires. tires. Yeah. Uh, it took three of us to pick it up twice. So if that gives you an idea. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Have you since gone out and gotten some knobbies or are you just avoiding going off or currently off avoiding going off right now? You know, I've, uh, you know, uh, when we went to Oregon a couple of weeks ago, we took, uh, we took the tiger 1200 out, uh, on our road trip. And that was just a, complete touring bike, you know, it, it's got all the tech, all the technology built into it to make the comfortable ride. Um, and I think that's, you know, I, I kind of saw triumph. I, I see where they're trying to tailor some of their marketing. Cause it's just like adventure bikes are cool. Like, you know, big board adventure bikes, you know, uh, you can take them off road. You can take them touring. You do all these things. I'm like, well, you kind of got to pick one or the other cause they're not going to perform as well in both spectrums. Uh, so I, I've learned that the 1200 is more of a road touring bike as opposed to a dirt bike. And if I were to ride dirt, I'd probably get a legit dirt bike, um, and have fun with that and not be afraid of throwing it in the dirt. 
Um, yeah. You know, you know, you'd be surprised what appropriate tires will do for basically any bike. Yeah. You know, I think, um, I, I, I follow people who do these long trips and, you know, one girl that I follow, she's riding a fire blade. Wow. Yeah. Through Europe and down into Africa and, you know, just getting the right tires can even make that possible. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, a sport bike. Right. Yeah. And then you see people who do the ADV bikes, you know, and they put the knobbies on and then suddenly they have a lot more versatility. Um, yep. And on the, on the flip side, it's like, um, for instance, I, I interviewed this guy, Yoon, and once his knobbies had been worn off, you know, all of a sudden his bike wasn't really good in the dirt or in the gravel or wherever, right. He was having so much more trouble keeping it yeah. uh, where it's supposed to be upright and moving forward, you know? Yep. He's just uh, fishtailing out everywhere. Yeah. And, yeah. It's just, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I think any bike can be modified appropriately. If you look at what Harley's doing right now with the long way up with you and McGregor, you know, they're taking, um, live wires and, converting them uh, to be basically adventure bikes. Right. I remember yeah. seeing that. Yeah. I think actually Very interesting. I, I think Harley's next um, next evolution is going to be on more of the adventure side. The same thing sort of Triumph is, is doing, right? Like yep. I think they're going to start more actively um, focusing on, on kind of off-road type things and I think it aligns well with sort of their, um, their mantra of freedom. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to evolve Harley in a new direction, it's got to sort of stay aligned somewhat with their, their current ideology. Yep. So. Yeah. And it seems like all these manufacturers are really trying to build bikes that tailored to every riding style. Um, so, you know, and I, and I think that's their sort of way to try and reel people in. It's like, well, I want to do this, but at least I can do this as well. Like, yeah, of course I'll buy it. Cause I can do everything. Cause they told me it could. And then you realize you can't, <laughs> well, but I think that's what they're trying to achieve is to do and all do everything like, and I think that they realize that N plus one is a thing uh, Yeah. yeah. In, in that vein. Um, what's your next bike? Oh my goodness. That is it is a, a dirt bike? <laughs> um, uh, probably. Yeah, probably. Well, cause so at my street triple, I'm, I'm, uh, converting it into a dedicated track bike. Um, so what's that? I said, of course you have to have a track bike. Right? I have to have a track bike. Yeah. Cause I was like, well, maybe I should trade in my street triple for more of like a dedicated, like, you know, an R1 or an R6, Yamaha R6 or something. And I'm like, well, I can either like trade it in and still have to pay a chunk of money for something that may not perform the way I like it to. Um, or, you know, I can just, you know, shape my street triple into something that I would want it to be. And while I understand and know, cause I've been writing for a while now. So I kind of stuck to that. Um, so, you know, that, that one's for the track and sort of like my, my fun bike. Um, and my tiger is definitely for like the long haul highway, highway, highway ride. Um, uh, but still can't really manage the dirt that well on most of it just because it's really heavy. Uh, and gosh, that thing weighs like almost 600 pounds. Um, and 
you know, obviously not, not viable. It's for the big, the, the dirt stuff. So uh, I think a dirt bike would be the next, the next thing if I were to ever get one. Um, I, you know, I'm looking at KTM's KTM's got a great lineup of, of dirt bikes. Um, on the flip side, I'm, I've been really interested on the electric motorcycle industry. Um, zero has been putting out some interesting stuff. Um, and you know, having a battery powered, very low maintenance type of bike just sounds really intriguing to have and seeing how that runs in the long term. But I just personally, for me, I just feel like sort of the range, and I think it's always been a concern for a lot of people getting electric motorcycles is the range, uh, piece of it where it's like, well, it takes like eight hours for a full charge or whatever. If you just plug it into a normal outlet and you can only get like 125 miles out of a full charge. So you can't really go really anywhere except sort of back and forth commuting. Um, and I think until that evolves and it's, you know, you they have some sort of solution where you can like just charge your battery on the go uh, with like an external reservoir or something like that. You know, I think that's going to hold people back with buying those, but I would love to own one someday. You know, I've thought about the whole electric motorcycle thing. And personally to me, the issues I have with it are, but they sort of conflict with what I enjoy about motorcycles. Um, you were talking about earlier how, you know, when you ride a motorcycle, it almost feels like you're riding a spaceship or something, you know? And for me, I really love an analog experience. I love shifting gears, mm-hmm. you know? Um, I love the sound of the engine revving. And I mean, I have a Harley, so I like the sound of my exhaust as I'm, you know, I don't, yeah. and it, believe me, it's a stock exhaust. I'm not like one of those guys who's like, the first thing I did was throw a fucking exhaust. <laughs> right? um, but I still, I like the way it sounds. I like the way it smells. Um, you know, even, even living in Phoenix, having the heat come off the engine, like feeling like there's something there, the vibrations. I love the vibrations. I know a lot yeah. of people, they were like, oh, this is so smooth. Like my bike, you know, you hardly can feel it. To me, that all sounds boring. Yeah. Anytime someone uses the word smooth, I think boring, whether, <laughs> it's, whether it's cigars, coffee, scotch, yeah. like whatever it is in life. When someone tells me something is smooth, I'm like, yeah, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, so like, I, I love all that, that, that analog feel. And so the thought what of hopping Harley on, again? 2019, 2019. So it, it still has the rubber mounted engine. It's not, you know, as shaky as the yeah. old ones, but I can still feel it. You know, it's like, I can still, I'm sitting at a light. I can feel the bike under me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not a speed demon, you know, so I don't really care about speed. And I think that that's kind of where the electric bikes will excel. They've got so much torque. So oh, yeah. immediate. Right. And that's why I think personally people who complain about the range, it's like, well, sport bikes aren't really that comfortable to ride very far anyway. Like, do you want to go 200 miles on a sport bike? I don't, my back would be killing me by the time I was done, you know, like at at that point, you know, a sport bike's designed to go fast, not to go comfortably. Yep. And in that regard, you know, electric bikes seem like they'd be the perfect fit because you get all that super um, quick torque right Mm -hmm. there. And then, you know, you can go as fast as you want because you don't have to worry about how fast you can shift. So you don't need a quick shifter or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, Throttle on, throttle off. <laughs> yeah. You know, the learning curve to operate and make, making the motorcycle move is going to be super short because you don't have to worry about shifting. Um, yep. Yeah, that's so a I good think, point. I think they've got a lot of pluses. Um, on the negative side, 
uh, in safety, I know people have this argument all the time about whether loud pipes save lives or whatever. And I don't know, like I, I'm not a scientist and I've never studied it. All I can tell people is from my experience before I ever rode a motorcycle, whenever I would hear a motorcycle, I would look to see yeah. where it was at, you know? And so from someone who just started riding, I, I still have a really clear experience interacting with motorcycles as a driver. And my own experience is that when I would hear one, I would look for one. If I didn't yeah. hear it, I might not see you. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think have you, have you, uh, you lane split it at all on no, you're in Arizona? Yeah. It's not legal. Okay. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, California and people get crazy over here. You know, it's just like, uh, well, I, I should say it, it, it's crazy because there's so many cars, um, you know, on, on the interstate, uh, especially during rush hour. And it's just like, uh, when you're, uh, when you're commuting, you know, uh, fortunately there's a lot of nice people and a lot of nice drivers that, you know, they're, they're constantly like moving over, you know, for people that ride through, um, and then you get those riders who like, if they don't move, they just get really upset, you know, just for like, like for what, like, uh, it's not, I don't like, I don't think you have a right to lane split, you know, <laughs> even though you might think you do, you know, in a lot of cases, people don't get to do this, but here we do. So I don't know why you're mad. Yeah. I mean, I, I get why they're mad, you know, it's yeah. like if you buy a bike so that you can lane split and you don't have to sit in the traffic with everyone. And then yeah. at the same time, depending on if your bike is air cooled or liquid cooled, you know, you don't want to necessarily yeah. be sitting stopped in traffic and letting yeah. your bike bake in the heat. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, I kind of get it, but at the same time, you're right. It's, it's like everyone's sharing the road together. Uh, yeah. even if the cars aren't moving over, it may not be, you know, malevolent. It just might be that they're, they're stopped in traffic. So they're looking at their phone for a minute or whatever, you <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? right. it's like, you know, they're going zero miles an hour. What do you want them to do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, lane, lane splitting has been, you know, uh, so far in my writing experience has been, um, good. It's been nice. Like, you know, I haven't, there were, I mean, you know, the aggressiveness of people like isn't really apparent, at least here in the Bay, um, might be different elsewhere. Um, so you know, that, that, and that's also sort of like some of the encouragement with like a golden hour is just like, you know, this is why riding is awesome because you get to do all, you know, you get to do all these things, you get to places faster and more efficiently. Um, and, you know, definitely being efficient is, is key. Well, yeah, it's a good selling point. I'd say, um, I don't know if you saw that I interviewed star bobber, but she's down in Fresno or up in Fresno down because Fresno's below you guys. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so, yeah, she started riding motorcycles because she couldn't get any parking at her school. Yep. And meanwhile, they had motorcycle parking and these folks were just like riding right up to the door, parking their motorcycle and going right to class. And then yep. she's like driving around this parking lot looking for spaces all the time. Yeah. Um, and so it just out of sheer convenience, she got into motorcycles. And um, I... I just saw the video that you guys posted on golden hour and I know it's not a new video, but it's the video of that guy who's uh, like a Brit or something. And he's talking about oh, Moto Geo. Yeah. Like lane splitting and like, Hey, look guys, like you could be riding right now, right through the middle of this traffic and not stuck. Yeah. If you had a motorcycle. So you know, get on the ball, get, get a motorcycle. <laughs> be somewhere, do something better with your time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love, I love all his videos and all he does is eat burgers and ride motorcycles. It's kind of like his, his uh, go-to. 
But I always think that's, that's interesting. Where it's just like what motivates people to actually start riding is to gain those conveniences for their, for the thing that they have to do. Um, but if, if they didn't need that convenience, would they still be riding? You know? So I think, I think it's a lot how there, there has to be a need to go that route as opposed to, you know, there's less people wanting to ride it because it's a motorcycle, but they have to resort to a motorcycle because they need it to achieve a certain thing. And it was the same thing for me. It's like, I needed it for commuting, but you know, now that we're in a pandemic and traffic isn't as bad, would I still have that need now? So it's like, would I still think about riding a motorcycle if I wasn't riding? Um, so I, I find that interesting. So are you, are you seeing some of the smoke where you are from California? Um, a little bit. Our, um, I, I went riding last night or you know, around sunset time, our time, and the sun is definitely a different color. <laughs> yeah. But uh, not to the extent that Oregon and California is getting it. How, how yeah. is it where you're at? Uh, terrible. Um, you may have seen lots of pictures. Uh, I think it was Wednesday um, where it was complete darkness. Um, because the smoke was so thick and it was just like the, um, I guess what happened is there was enough winds that day that swept some of the smoke on that first layer, um, that pushed all the smoke up high. And so it was just like this thick layer that made that just blocked all the sunlight. Um, now that the winds have died down, a lot of that smoke is now dropping back into back, back to earth. So now, um, there's like soot and smoke everywhere. Um, and you can barely see half a mile ahead of you, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so everyone's staying inside. No one's walking their dogs or anything. Um, well, good. Is, Cause uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> that can't be good to be breathing in. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I took my dog, you know, my Benson won't, won't, won't go poo unless I walk him. Uh-huh. So I kind of have to like walk him. And we did, we went for a brisk walk uh, yesterday and it was just weird. Like, out for like a couple minutes and I can already feel it in my chest. I'm like, it sucks. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, um, you think, uh, you think too about how much more sensitive a dog's nose is and you, you gotta wonder how he's feeling today too. <laughs> yep. Yep. Put the air, air purifier next to him. Good. Yeah. I saw some folks talking about having, um, you know, um, sensitive lungs or whatever for a variety of reasons. And one lady was showing like this hack where you can get um, an air filter and attach a fan yeah, you know, and just blow the air through it and help clean out some of the air inside the house. Yeah. Uh, in addition to your air conditioning, uh, you know, cause at least in my house, I've got two intakes uh, for the air conditioner and they each get, of course, a filter in them. Um, mm-hmm. So it stays relatively you know, okay in here, but Arizona is so dusty in general that it's just, it's impossible to get rid of all the dust. It's one of the first things that uh, my ex-wife and I noticed when we moved to Arizona is it was impossible to keep things clean. Interesting. Uh, Oh, well, so when we first moved here, we didn't have any pets or anything and we never wore shoes in the house, like all that kind of a deal. And we still were having like dust and dirt on everything. Wow. And, you know, like I come from DC where we would clean the house once a week and it would stay clean, you know, most of that week here in Arizona, 
just from opening and closing the door, like the, in the dust in the air, it was like, you know, you clean on Sunday and by Tuesday, every surface in your house has like a little layer of dust on it. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It and that, so is that just from the, just the net poor air quality? That's what it's from. <laughs> really? It's, is it pretty poor there? Wow. Yeah. They've got the brown cloud, they call it out here in Arizona and we're in a valley. And so the air kind of like settles down. And I live in technically Glendale. So I'm mm. kind of on the, on the outside of the valley. And so when I'll be driving into Phoenix, um, there's this one bridge that I take. Uh, it's like an overpass. And you can kind of see the city out in front of you. And you just see this thin haze of brown that's oh. just like settling over everything. Yeah. And so they've got all these like dust control laws out here where if you're doing construction or doing anything that's going to be kicking up dirt, you have to have a giant water sprayer to spray everything because um, otherwise the air quality just gets so bad so fast. Wow. That's interesting. I wonder if that's sort of a common thing for like inland, um, inland states or anything like that. I I don't know. I I just know that uh, we've got that combination of really, um, dry i mean you know we live in a desert yeah so out here there's just constant dust anyway we get dust storms we call them mm-hmm. moves that just like roll in and dump more dust on your town yeah yeah Oof. <laughs> it's not fun. so uh, so i'm taking the bay area for granted with all the smoke that is with what's happening <laughs> well i mean you know it's like yeah it, it's all a trade-off right and yeah we don't, we don't get earthquakes so <laughs> very true it's very true we're just waiting for that big one to come any day yeah i don't have to worry about you know waking up in the middle of the night one day to my house shaking down (laughs) (laughs) oh man so now you mentioned um you guys wanted to have an actual space at some point with golden hour yep has the pandemic started making you guys have like a plan b as to like because my own view is that with global warming and everything that's happening right now, whether you believe it's man-made or if it's a natural phenomenon, either way, whatever, temperature's going up. Um, I think that this is not going to be the last pandemic that we experience in our lifetimes. Like a lot of people talk about it being sort of a hundred year pandemic, but um, I'm thinking personally looking at everything that it's going to happen more often. Um, And I think businesses should in my opinion, should be kind of considering like, Hey, if your business depends on people being in a certain place at a certain time, um, you might struggle. And if you don't have some other way of bringing in some money on top of that, um, then, then you're putting yourselves like at risk. But I think you guys are starting from an online presence, right? So you seem to be building a customer base that's used to ordering from you guys uh, either online or I, I think that I saw some shops in the local area carry your guys's coffee as well, though. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, to going back of like, you know, do we have a plan B, um, sort of, (laughs) you know, uh, and it's, it's a bummer that, you know, we we're striving to get, to create some uh, space for communities, uh, when it's actually hard to do that in a pandemic. And so like, so what does that actually look like? And I wonder what all these other cafes and restaurants and bars are actually thinking about when they think about building a community space and you know are and you know and I, I think from a just from a real estate and you know building logistical perspective i think a lot of that is going to change of how restaurants and places are going to get built out it's like um 
now everything is going to be sort of, there's going to be a pandemic code, like an earthquake code or like a fire code, you know? So, you know, there's a lot of design changes I think will be implemented just from a statewide, even countrywide level. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm really curious to see how that's going to pan out. And so how we're, um, you know, how we've been kind of thinking about it, it's just like, well, you know, how do we design a cafe to where, you know, we can limit sort of some of these, some of these issues and mitigate some of these issues. And, you know, and motorcycle kind of solves for a lot of that in itself, just as a hobby, since it's sort of like a one man, one person hobby. Um, and, you know, thinking about like indoor dining versus outdoor dining and it's like, and it's like, okay, well, maybe we can build like an outdoor type of cafe space and, you know, not really have any seating and it's all bar seating. And, you know, if you were to sort of gather and hang out, it's going to be at your own risk in like a parking lot or, you know, something like that. Um, you know, we, we thought about going like mobile as well, you know, building like a cart of uh, some sort or buying like a Ural um, and, you know, having the sidecar as a coffee espresso bar or something like that. And we'll be at farmer's markets and, and some, and, and whatnot. And, you know, that was sort of another idea. Um, but for now, I mean, you know, being an online presence actually uh, helped with, uh, you know, sort of building that community just online and digitally. So, you know, if and when we do open that sort of physical presence, you know, at least we'll have some customers to tailor to and that they'll know um, that, that we exist as opposed to just sort of like, hey, we're open. And we got to worry about like now paying the rent and getting all these operational costs without having a customer base. So, um, and that's it, kind of how we planned it initially, where it's like, let's build an online presence first, just to at least get the hype going. Um, and, you know, just tell people what we're planning to do, um, just to sort of build that following first. And, uh, um, and yeah, you mentioned that our coffee is uh, at a physical location, uh, at a place called uh, the Coro Coffee Room in Berkeley. And unfortunately, they had to close because of the pandemic. Um, so uh, we're nowhere physically now. Um, so we're just purely online doing subscriptions, um, which is okay. Um, you know, I think even though some of it, it's been harder to sort of market and sort of grow, uh, and think about a physical space, you know, I think, you know, Instagram and some of the digital marketing still helps. And, you know, we've been getting a lot more followers still and, um, you know, working and collaborating with, uh, Sheik Riot, you know, had definitely helped with some promoting some of our stuff. Um, so doing things like that, you know, it's still alive and well, and, um, I think it's still sort of a really a good thing to have. Um, cause a lot of times too, you know, we think about changing up the menu and like changing our coffee blends and whatnot. It's like, well, like, do we need to, or do we just need to sort of like help sort of elevate some of, some of our, you know, marketing, um, and, you know, start off with like a core base of products and then do it well and then continue to sort of like expand upon that. Well, they um, talk about uh, scarcity, like trying to create scarcity, um, whether it's, you know, kind of artificial or genuine. Um, I think that might be a lot of opportunity for you guys to experiment with some new growth to be like, OK, it's a limited time run. You know, we're doing yep. this month. We've got this one after this that's it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So if you want to try it, you better do it now. Do it now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I think you guys, you know, after tasting your coffee, especially, I think you guys have a lot of opportunity 
because um, you have a good product. You know, if you had a bad product, I think you'd need a lot stronger marketing. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. For you know sure. what I mean? But it's yeah. like when you've got a good product, um, I, I feel like the marketing's a bit easier, right? Yeah. Because you just have to get people to try it. Yep. Once you get them to try it, they'll probably buy again. Yep, so, I agree. You know, and we've we've been very, um, um, uh, you know, we've been very liberal of like uh, samples, and you know, we would like hand things out. And when we first launched Golden Hour, we we're just like, I, I spent the first three months handing out free coffee to all these local dealerships just around the area, just like, hey, here's a coffee, here's some stickers. You know, we're we're online, like try us out. You know, because a lot of these dealers now are just having like coffee on the side. You know, just as they're, they're buying their bike, they're doing the paperwork. Hey, want some coffee? It's by Golden Air. So that was sort of like the my my sort of mindset of where some of the, where we can sort of pipe in our product. Um, but you know, you know, seeing how some of the dealers and are starting to wind down a little bit, and they've obviously had their layoffs and whatnot. So there's a little bit less opportunity of that now. Um, so you know, we're, we're trying to figure out uh, different avenues of, of where we can go. Because um, I, I think it's also not so much, while, while we're motorcycle-centric, it's almost doesn't have to be all about motorcycles at the same time. Um, you know, and it's figuring out how do we cater to an even broader group that, you know, it, you, know you don't have to ride, but you, know, you could be interested in it. Um, but maybe you just like the coffee, so, and that's fine too. Well, have you guys looked at the marketing, for instance, through, I think it's Black Rifle Training Company? Mm. So Black Rifle Training Company um, is a veteran-owned coffee company. And they, um, and I believe it's them, they, their marketing is just like all out military grunt style guns they put oh a giant they put a giant machine gun on a prius and you know we're like <laughs> shooting things up with it on their instagram account and um you know they almost like the coffee's almost secondary to all the military stuff that they do that so, is, i'm on their page right now that is very interesting and i think it's worked amazingly well for them because their coffee yeah. is decent you know, it's um, better than a lot of the stuff you're going to buy in the store, but not as good as some of the more, um, you know, high-end coffees. Yeah. It's, it's like a nice middle-of-the-road coffee, and their marketing's fantastic. Yep. And it's fun, right? It's the, the videos they put out in, like, the holidays and, and different things is just crazy entertaining to where it's a commercial kind of but it's mostly just hilarious. Yeah. And you don't have to really be in the military or be from the military family to laugh at the jokes. Right. You know what I mean? And um, I think that you guys could probably do something similar. Just go all in with motorcycles. You right. Know, if you wanted to, I mean, I, I don't know what your personalities are like. These guys genuinely are into the military. Like they're genuinely <laughs> veterans and, and they that. love, they love that shit. Right. So they, they just like go hundred percent in that direction. And at the same time, they're like, Oh yeah, we've got coffee. You know, <laughs> by the way, buy our coffee, but I, we know you're going to love this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think it's a good way to like, as long as you're passionate about something. Yeah. You know, I think you you can draw customers. Yeah, the, definitely the authenticity plays a big part of it. Um, and 
and I think being as a, as a motorcyclist and, you know, being into motorcycles, it, it's still a pretty, you know, it's, it's a minority in, in this large pool of cars and, you know, you know, me being in my twenties, I didn't even bat an eye at a motorcycle, but now I'm just like, I can't stop. Uh, and you know, and what more can get other people involved. And, you know, some of the other things we also played around with was just like, Hey, it'd be great to do like training videos or just like a workshop video. That's like, Oh, I didn't know that about motorcycles. Wait, wait, isn't this a coffee company? But wait, I, I kind of find this interesting as well. And that kind of sort of tailors to wanting to support that brand and that company to continue making, you know, content like that. So, um, you know, we've been thinking about more creative ways to, to do things as opposed to just putting pictures of coffee. Um, and, you know, yeah, we're, we're, we're playing around with different things. So. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the Fort nine route, right? I mean, yeah. I don't know if you ever watch any Fort nine, but oh, yeah. uh, it's like, yes, they, they sell motorcycle equipment and they do videos about it too. But at the same time, they also do just general motorcycle interest videos. You know, I mean, their whole Harley Davidson history video that they just blew up on yep. um, yeah. recently. I mean, that doesn't directly sell anything from their site, but it gets people to, you know, come to the channel and feel like they're kind of getting to know um, the store and they're adding some value, right? They're putting some additional value into the community um, aside from just, hey, buy some stuff for me. Yep. And I think yep. that, uh, you know, that that's a great thing for people to do because number one, there's a need. Otherwise a million people wouldn't be, you know, Googling or YouTubing how to ride a motorcycle or, mm -hmm. you know, what's the best motorcycle for me, um, that kind of a thing. And, yep. um, you know, if you're already looking to get your you know product out there, then helping people out seems like a good way to be a first introduction, yep. right? <laughs> yep. No, I absolutely, I completely agree with that. Um, it's almost like just a stepping stone um, of really getting engaged uh, into a certain product. Cause you know, I think about just sort of all the things that sort of like the physical materialistic things that I've just been interested in. It's like, well, how do you actually, what made you want to sort of purchase and, you know, buy that? And it's like, well, it's usually something that doesn't really correlate to that in particular. And, and it's always, it's always something on the outside that's based on your interests that will just eventually lead you to that, uh, to, to that end goal. Um, you know, I started riding a motorcycle because I wanted to commute better, you know, but I was, I wanted to buy a scooter instead, but that surely did not happen. Um, so I think it's interesting how our minds work uh, of how we start to get engaged on things that we didn't expect to. So let me ask you about Kiana then and her writing. Um, I think that I saw that she'd taken the MSF as well and gotten her license. Yep. Has she bought a motorcycle or scooter? Is she thinking about doing it? So she doesn't ride actively today, um, but uh, she she's always wanting to ride as a passenger on the back. So she loves to just sort of be with me uh, and sort of like take the turns and sort of get that experience. Uh, so we did have a Suzuki S40 Boulevard um, that I did get for her. Um, and um, it was a little bit uh, too much from the coordination side. Um, and I think most of it is just sort of like being out on the road and just sort of like understanding what people are doing out on the road on a motorcycle, just because of the vulnerability of it. Um, and it's just sort of getting over that hurdle. Um, 
So we traded in, we have a scooter now um, just for her to start ramping up again on. And it's more so of just like not being able to ride, it's being able to ride in traffic. Um, and I think that those are like the two hurdles that sort of just any rider really, um, really go up against. It's like, cool, I know how to ride a motorcycle, but knowing how to ride with crazy people around me is like a whole different story. And like being reactive to that um, is, is definitely sort of something that we have to practice, practice for. So we've done some parking lot drills, uh, which we've had fun doing. And I got some cones and stuff when we let on the parking lot. So that, yeah, that was like a weekend thing for us, uh, which was fun. Um, but kind of hard to do that now with all the smoke outside. So do you follow a system when you're doing like the, um, the cone thing? Like, do you think there's like Joey Palladino, there's Moto Jitsu, there's, um, like three or four different, um, people out there that I know of that kind of have their own ways to do parking lot practice. So I'm curious if you guys. Yeah. So we, a lot of it was what I tailored to how we sort of, we did at the MSF class. So a lot of it's just sort of like low speed, you know, swerving, um, how, you know, how to park it, how to park your bike in a curve in a sidewalk. So it's like rolling doing the whole roll up and back up. Um, and, uh, I, I do follow Moto Jitsu. He has some good videos too. Um, but most of it was tailored to how sort of we did it at the MSF. So we'd like lay out like a cone in circles and then, you know, uh, practice turning left and turning, you know, making rights from a stop. Um, putting your weight on a certain side when you're making that right turn, you know. So um, a lot of the, all of it was slow speed maneuvers because you know what? Yeah, once you pick up speed, it's a little easier. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I think that people underestimate like the, the skills required to keep a bike moving at 30 miles an hour, yeah. 40 miles an hour, are a lot different than the skills it takes to keep a bike from falling over at five <laughs> miles an hour. Yep. You know, and yep. it's like it's remarkably difficult to turn your bike at five miles an hour versus going into a curve at 30 miles an hour, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. So yeah, I, I do the Moto Jitsu thing. I got his book and so I'll go and oh, cool. he's got like the diagrams with like the spacing for the cones and I've got one of those little measuring roller stick things. Oh, and so awesome. <laughs> I'll go out to the parking lot and I'll like measure out the distances and you know, all that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm trying That's to cool. improve that way. Yeah. Oh my gosh, my cats are going crazy with my lights. You know, I was wondering what I was hearing in the background, and I think your cat was crying. That's the one that's vocal. She's not really crying. She just does that. Oh. <laughs> and she'll do it for like an hour sometimes. She'll just walk around like, yeah. You know, and then um, the other one will get started too when she does that sometimes. And then you'll get this like stereo sound of like one in one room going, and then the yeah. other room, the one's going, <laughs> <laughs> it's a pack. It's like a pack oh my gosh. Yeah, well, they're sisters, so you know. Uh, that makes sense. I'm not surprised. <laughs> Actually, a lot of these cats are related. They're um, from a mama cat that was living in our backyard, uh, and we still haven't been able to get her fixed yet. Because mm. uh, she, she disappears. Like she only shows up when she wants to have kittens. She'll have kittens in my backyard, oh. and then after the kittens are old enough and we've taken them, she goes away and doesn't come back. Interesting. Yeah, but she loves to have kittens in our backyard. So that's <laughs> where she feels most comfortable. We, we've got a trap right now in um, my girlfriend's SUV, and we just got to get the get start putting food out there again, trying to get her to come back so that we can <sighs> trap her and get her fixed and put fixed. her back out. You know? Oh my goodness! Yeah. So how many kittens did she have? So a total. Okay, so. <laughs> The first time she did it, she had two kittens in our backyard and we just took them in. We adopted them. That's how we got 
three cats because I had one that I adopted from my neighborhood. And then, oh, no, actually, that was four because we had one that I adopted from my neighborhood. And then at my office, back when you could go to offices, um, there were a lot of strays that would have kittens in the back of the office. And normally you couldn't catch them. But one year, uh, one of the people in the other offices caught one. And she hmm. saw me and she was like, hey, do you want a kitten? Uh, I was like, do I want a kitten? Probably not, but I need to <laughs> sure that they need a home. So I, I talked to my girlfriend and I was like, hey, do you want to adopt a kitten with me? Because the lady at the office next door caught a couple of the uh, kittens. And so we ended up adopting him. And then like a year or two after that, that's when Mama Cat, as we call her, ended up having two kittens in our backyard. And so we ended up taking them in and making them ours and we had intended to get her fixed then but again she pulled the whole disappearing act where she just stopped coming mm. back there after her kittens were gone yeah so anyway this year she came out and she had four kittens in the oh backyard four and we got two of them adopted out and then two of them we ended up keeping so technically uh. four of the cats in the house are related and two of them are not that's why you have so many cats in your That's house. Why, yeah, because I'm such a uh, sap, you know? It's like... Uh, I, I, do, I do the same thing. It's yeah. fine. And, and I get concerned, like, giving them to someone who's going to abuse them yeah. or, like, let them go outside because I don't believe in outside cats because it's just so dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's like I'm, I've got such high standards for who I want to take a cat and I would not feel overly concerned about them. Yeah. So I can only find really two people like that. And then the other two had been in the house so long, it was like, well, now I'm attached. So yeah. <laughs> that's why like that's why I cannot be a foster home for pets. Same, I would just same. keep them. <laughs> yeah, like, no, I cannot. I'd be a hoarder, you know what I mean? It'd be yeah. like one of those things where people are like, How many animals are in here? You know. <laughs> it's like all these litter boxes, where are the cats? Oh my god, we've got I think we've got four or five litter boxes now. Because oh you can't have you can't have like one or two litter boxes if you've got six cats, you know. Yeah, I think we've sure. got one litter box per cat, so I think we probably have six litter boxes then. Oh my goodness! And uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's brutal. we're trying work. to we're slowly trying to like switch them out to be the covered litter boxes. Yeah, because the new kittens especially love to just fling litter all over the room. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we're, we're lucky enough that we've got a whole room that's kind of dedicated to the cats. Yeah. Um, so they've got their litter box in there and they got like a little scratch pad and, 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 oh, yeah. and a window so they can sit in the window and look out if they want to. Yeah. Um, we don't lock them in there, but it's just kind of like a area that's theirs. Um, yeah. Their hideout. But, but still, like we feed them in there and it's like, you know, you walk in in the morning and you don't want to be walking on litter. You know, so yeah. <laughs> swiping your foot and every time yeah. we, we have a we have a broom and dustpan we have to keep in there constantly because yeah, you know the, the two youngest ones. Oh god, they're horrible. We found that the uh, the the top I forget what they're called, but they're there's basically the top entry ones. Um, and there's like a little like ridges on the top, so it'll catch a lot of the the litter when they get out of it. We found that to help a little bit. Uh, we good. have this uh, igloo one that we just got. Mm. And so it, it's a curve. So they enter in like this and they have to come around to get into the litter. That one yeah. has been helping a lot. So I think we're going nice. to, um, we're going to switch them all over to those igloo like ones. Nice. That's good. Yeah. So Man. what's, uh, what's the time frame? Like, let's say the pandemic ends, uh, in February. Mm -hmm. How soon do you guys think that you'd be ready to find a space and get, and get open? Um, <laughs> 
You know, that's a good question. There's a lot of just also personal things that we've been just sort of trying to juggle um, because we know how much investment and, um, you know, uh, dedication that needs to be put in when, when we do open up a storefront. And, you know, the biggest thing that comes to mind is like, oh, I need to hire people. Like, and, you know, figuring out, you know, all these labor laws in California is really strict about all these things. And it's good. It's a whole different ball game once that storefront opens up. And, you know, in looking and trying to prepare for that, you know, and it, I'm thinking about sort of the other things, you know, in my career in IT and uh, AV, uh, it's by Akadira. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, you know, we're thinking about family, you know, we're going to have kids one day, you know, so trying to, trying to think about how we want to sort of align things and where we want to be uh, really comes to play. And I, I think if, you know, should this pandemic end and thinking about storefront, you know, it's, man, I don't even have a date on this. You know, initially it was just like, man, let's, let's just do it like now, like let's get things up to speed and really find, find a place. Cause I, I have been looking for, um, you know, properties for lease and storefronts of what's possible, you know, before the pandemic hit, um, just sort of shop around. Um, and I think that'll still continue to do so. And I think it's something that we're not really actually rushing into, um, but we're still keeping an eye on and we find, and if we find a really good opportunity to actually make a space the way we want it to be, then I think that's something we're actually going to um, jump, jump into. So I, I think what really drives us is, you know, what, what properties we find out there uh, to lease and does it work well in our instance, like based on the requirements. And if we find something and we feel really good about it, then let's take it, let's take a leap of faith and do it. Um, and, you know, going back to the whole family thing, you know, we've obviously it, it, having a family does, isn't really a blocker for burning a business because people do it all the time. Uh, I think it's just accepting the fact that are we, are we willing to, uh, juggle the, all these things at the same time. And, you know, it, it seems to be, we seem to be in agreement that we can. Um, and, you know, uh, and I've always wanted to have a family and running a business, like a family business, you know, maybe it will last long enough to where my, my kids will start running it and ride bikes and whatnot. And, you know, that'd be awesome to have. Um, and, you know, for myself, you know, being in IT, you know, it's almost like, how long do I see myself doing that? Um, and then who knows, I think technology will always be a part of something that I do. Like if I were to run my own business, I'm sure I will do all the IT for it. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that will be always be a part of me. Um, so I guess the question is, there really isn't a date and time of when the storefront will be. Um, but, you know, we would love to do at least think about it seriously in the next couple of years. Proud to say that. Yeah. I mean, um, I just got back from Nicaragua in November and, you know, a lot of the businesses out there, they, they are family owned and operated, but in addition to being family owned and operated, they also tend to share a space. So um, for instance, one of the restaurants that I really loved going to out there was this like grill. And basically it was uh, the same building just divided in half, you know? So the front half of the building was the business space. And then the back half was their living space. And in other areas, it was kind of like bottom floor business 
second floor living arrangements, you know, so the commute yep. was basically no commute. Um, yeah. And it makes it a little bit easier, I think, for kind of families to be involved in it because it's like, okay, well, you know, my kid is here upstairs. So if anything really happens, I'm available, but I'm also down here working. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And, um, and that, that's a good point that you bring it like, you know, sharing a, sharing a building with another company or another service has, has always, has actually been, um, of a consideration for us also. Uh, we, we did a partnership with a shop, a local shop here, um, Marin speed shop, they're a motorcycle dealer. And, you know, we were planning all these things. Like they served our coffee, uh, over there just in, you know, um, air press pods. Um, and we were planning on doing a pop-up because they'll do pop-ups every quarter or so. And then we we're going to, you know, be one of the, the people that are out there serving coffee. So, um, and we, we, we think that's sort of a good opportunity because like, not only do you get to sort of not have to dedicate yourself to a full space, but you actually start to build a partnership with another company that also serves in the same interests. And so you're sort of like, it becomes this like co-op almost, um, uh, of, of, uh, you know, of a place that'll help, you know, serve each other's businesses. Um, so that was sort of the aim also initially too, when I was sort of giving our coffee out to like motorcycle dealers and shops and stuff, cause we were looking for some of that partnership in, you know, just to explore all these different avenues. Um, and that was sort of our second phase of just like after online, you know, start doing pop-ups like farmer's markets and, and whatnot um, to build more of the physical presence there. Um, but I, and, and I almost think that that would be actually the more likely scenario, uh, for us, as opposed to having a completely separated storefront. Um, you know, we, so I, I've been to Japan multiple times, Canada's been there twice, and it seems to be very common there to have sort of cooperative businesses, uh, be that. And I think a lot of it just because of how dense, densely packed everything is, uh, at least in Tokyo. Um, you know, you'll have an apparel shop that's, that's, uh, tailored to more of like outdoorsy type things. And you have a coffee shop that's just like nested in the corner, uh, that still has like the same aesthetics, but has really good coffee and, but it's like their own separate entities, but they kind of, you know, they reel people in that way. It's a little shop after they get their coffee sort of thing. So, um, you know, that, that's definitely been something that's of interest for us to go that route as well. Yeah, Nordstrom's and, and some of the higher end uh, yeah, stores yeah. do things like that too, right? Yep. Um, yeah, I think that there's so much opportunity out there, really. I mean, um, you know, I, I know that um, food trucks are super popular too. And you mentioned thinking about like doing some sort of like a bike with a sidecar or something. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of that's really cool. I, I saw something like that when I was in. Um, I think I was in Montreal or was it Vancouver? Maybe it was Vancouver mm -hmm. um, where they had like this small vehicle and mm -hmm. it was covered in like stuff. And from a distance, I didn't know what it was. And, uh, but it caught the eye. Right. Um, and I didn't, I didn't realize what was happening until I got up close and they had converted like a, um, a station wagon to being a coffee shop. Mm -hmm. And so like one of the oh, windows cool. would flip down, you know, and they would serve the coffee through there and you could like look in the window and they've got like a little barista stand, like station <laughs> set up in this like station wagon. Yeah. And it was actually super cool. And they had all this like, 
you know, cartoonish like writing on it and stuff. And like the menu was painted on the side of the car. And it was, oh, that's awesome. It was, it was really neat and that's it was creative. a fun experience to see. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, so, uh, CC motorcycles in, uh, Oregon, they, uh, or Portland, they, uh, they, they do the whole Ural thing. They, they have a coffee cart set up on a Ural on, on, as a sidecar. And I was like, man, that thing is awesome. Like, how do I do that? Um, and so that's definitely something that I, I would love to do one day and just kind of roll up into a, a pop-up somewhere and just start serving. Um, but I'm curious to see if there's any like rules and like sanitation, sanitation, like it's, it's California. There's going to be rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's probably uh, like a hundred page book on, on just like, uh, Oh yeah. You know, how big the space needs to be and <laughs> running water and the temperatures. And anyway, yep. uh, I, I'm curious about your guys' name though. Um, so you call it golden hour. The bag yep. says Golden Hour Coffee, and your website is Golden Hour Coffee Moto. What is, what is the official name of the company? The official name is Golden Hour Coffee Moto. That's what's on paper. Um, and the different renditions of how our name just starts to just sort of chop itself up in different places. Uh, mostly it, it's gone to sort of trademarking it's it's gone to sort of uh what's available from a, a url domain perspective um and our initial like so our initial name just sort of like informally is just golden hour coffee um and you know there hasn't really been sort of a consideration of you know how do we actually want to market ourselves of you know, in social media and sort of like, uh, how we market our product and stuff. Um, we're starting to lean towards just motorcycle or, um, golden hour coffee. Um, mostly that's just because that's our core product. Um, and so the moto part, uh, was, was sort of something that was explored, uh, just to at least give some people incentive that like, Hey, there's a motorcycling aspect to this. Uh, but we're starting to sort of think about how we sort of want to rebrand ourselves. Cause a lot of what we're doing and how we sort of explain to other people is, is we say golden hour coffee. Um, and I was, I was actually kind of smiling when you said, where did the name golden hour come from? It's like, okay, well, if you want to know the interesting inside story on golden hour, uh, we are actually, we were listening to Casey Musgraves uh and her album's called 12 an hour and we we're slightly obsessed with that album at one point in our lives and during this time it was when we were thinking about the company and i was like you should call it golden hour and i was like why golden hour i was like because uh, casey musgraves and because like riding a motorcycle in a golden hour sunset is also awesome and so we kind of put those two and two together um uh, and sort of sort of thought about it more from a lifestyle perspective um and but that's where it kind of sort of uh, came from was Casey Musgraves. And I don't, I haven't really told a lot of people that. <laughs> and it's something that they just kind of have to figure out. And a little Easter egg that I did is that on our Instagram is uh, I, I follow Casey Musgra Musgraves uh, on the Golden Hour account. And it's just like, it was like the first account I followed, but uh, I keep all their posts hidden just so it doesn't <laughs> market itself. Well, that's really cool though. I mean, um, <laughs> You know, I, I like to hear fun stories like that. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Especially when it's something meaningful, like, you know, sometimes people just pick a name because it's like, well, I got to pick something. Yeah. You know, and they just get indecisive and like, whatever, it's going to be this. Yeah. Spring up the name generator or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. Uh, yeah. My, uh, my name inside jokes is good. My, my name on, on YouTube anyway, and Instagram and stuff is desert mofo. Right. And mm. that whole thing originated because, um, I love photography. I live in the desert and I ride a motorcycle. So I just was yeah. like, okay, how can I kind of, and plus, um, I tend to curse and, and things. I don't, I don't really care about um, trying to like make it too um, yeah. professional or something. Like, this, this is how I talk and, you know, I'm not going to be that concerned. So it was kind of like a, you know, it, sort of a, a foreshadowing, I suppose, of what people can um, expect also mm-hmm. from the, uh, the, the channel. So it's like desert to live in the desert, Mo for motorcycle, Faux for photographer, right? And then <laughs> plus mofo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're probably going to hear some f bombs on my, you know, on yep. my YouTube for video. the obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's kind of where that came that's from. That's awesome. Um, so I, I love hearing other stories like that too. It's just yeah, my point. But yeah, I, yeah. Ours wasn't. It was. It's funny. We, we reflect on it, and it's just like there's really nothing truly meaningful of like how it sort of shapes on why we're called golden hour but we named it because of an inside joke that we had while we we're making the company yeah but uh, it's not, not just a joke though right because you guys genuinely love the album yeah <laughs> uh, so it does it you know it's it comes from something personal right? yeah right it's yeah. not it's not again like a random name generator where it was like we just need something so insert placeholder here yeah you know? yeah so we like it. The only one thing that we uh, have definitely been reconsidering uh, is the logo. Um, so we're definitely playing around with different ideas. And some of some of the aspects of our existing logo was like, you know, we wanted something simple, uh, something that's sort of just out there um, that when you see it, you're like, oh, I know exactly what that is. And, you know, finding a specific color palette that defines what we are, um, you know, to help sort of build that brand, um, you know, was, was sort of the initial thinking. Um, we're kind of playing around with different ideas now of, what aesthetic we're looking for and you know some of the modern sort of logos that we've seen um i think it's just more so of just uh well, what's the word i'm looking for um stereotypical especially from like modern when you think of like modern tech companies and you see like these like little pieces of logos like oh it spells like a b using triangles and circles it's like oh that's easy but you know does that really sort of define um, sort of our personality and um, product and creativity? Um, uh, we know from a brand perspective, it, it could be a good positive, but is that really what, how we want to market ourselves? Well, um, I think it, it matters who you want your customers to be, right? Because yeah. the, the logo should be a reflection exactly. of, of the customers. You know, I mean, everything in a business should be designed as a customer focus. Like, yeah. You know, if, you, if you're not thinking about how the customer is going to see, interpret something or react to something, you know, at every single level, then you're going to have a, you just make more work for yourself. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But who, who designed your logo now? Uh, that was me. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> you obviously had an idea in mind when, when you together. <laughs> yeah. 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 The logo itself, you know, I, I played around with like different color palettes and, you know, I worked with this online tool, um, that sort of helped shape everything together. So I just kind of like 
piece piece stuff and was like yeah this looks pretty cool it's like it's out there it's uh you know the the font you know what, what was sort of um generated um from that um and you know i, I want to expand from there but now i'm just sort of like rethinking of like you know you, you sort of said it like who, who are the customers um and who i want the customers to be and I, i've worked with another artist who helps sort of redesign um, like a t-shirt design for us and it's basically like a, a frog riding a motorcycle, but it's just like a traditional sort of drawing, uh, with sort of like the old like pirate font um, that you would see in some of the traditional tattoos. Um, so we thought about using that uh, as a potential logo for us as sort of a redesign, um, um, but that maybe uh, at least to start would be a shirt design for us. So. I mean, I, I definitely like your guys' logo, um, but I, I do see what you mean too about it being a little, little bit simple and um, just kind of like looking at your vibe and, and Kiana's vibe on Instagram and stuff. It does seem a little bit outside of uh, yeah. your normal aesthetic. Yeah. Um, but on the flip side, it looks really good on your guys' bags, the packaging. That's uh, true. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, like, we were really know. happy about how the bags turned out. Yeah, your guys' packaging is is uh, really good. Um, I, I Thank you. absolutely hate the Starbucks style packaging. And so when I got yours in the box and I saw the way it opens and the way that it stays standing up mm -hmm. um, and I, I was, you know, anyway, all, all the relevant information is like right on the front of the bag too. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. I really liked it, but who knows? I mean, maybe I'm not the specific customer that you guys would be targeting, you know? Oh, you were absolutely oh. the customer. We were trying to target. <laughs> um, oh, that's awesome. That's really good feedback actually to hear. But yeah, I mean, because of like, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the bag right now on, on your yeah. Instagram page. So um, I think that, you know, everything from the little gas can for energy. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I'm assuming not just for the motorcycle, right? Like this coffee is now yep. the fuel for you. And, yep. and um, I don't know. I, I think it's a really well-designed bag and uh, label well, for the bag. And the logo blends in really well with it. But uh, but again, it's still got to be a reflection of you and who you're going after. So if you think it needs some tweaking, obviously, yeah. you know, follow your instincts. But Yeah, for sure. But it's good, it's good to hear. We, we, don't, we don't get too much feedback on our, on our designs and stuff. So it's good to, it's you know, good to hear that. I've had a few logos now that I've had to work on because um, for my photography business, I did one myself and it was horrible. It was cliche. It was everything yeah. wrong with the logo, right? Um, and then I have a friend who actually does logos and web design and such for a living. I mean, that's his sole business. And so I had him help me design my new logo for my photography business. And it was just so much better. You know, and one of the things that we kind of worked through when we were designing that logo was, you know, who are my customers, right? And so what we did was we kind of pulled um, logos from companies that also serve those customers. Right? And so in the, on the photography side, um, I was trying to target sort of higher end um, female customers. And so we were going through these different brands that also target high-end female customers and see if we could pull elements um, from those logos for my logo. Yeah. And from there, we also tried to tie it back to photography. And so what he did, my, the guy who designed my logo was he also went in and he pulled like some old 
um, film company mm-hmm. logos. Um, and we kind of combine the two and it, all it is, is my DG young, right? Like it's just letters, but mm. from the font and the spacing, the sizing and the location, like it all just really works well together. So in any way, I got some background in, in working with someone who knows about logos and that's how I've kind of absorbed some of that and then because awesome. i like marketing anyway i find yeah. that super interesting like all the thought like because you see a logo you don't think anything of it then other than oh cool right yeah but then when you get the kind of behind the curtain um peak uh if you're a curious person then you're gonna probably follow that rabbit hole like i did yeah um, anyway just get deeper now yeah. i've designed one well i i work with someone else to help design um my logo for the modern squid um, that's when I just kind of had the idea of, I was like, you know what? I want a squid and I want its legs to turn into a motorcycle, <laughs> you know? And, um, I worked with someone, she sent me a few different iterations of that. And yeah. I was like, I want the el- this element from that one, that element from this one, put them together. Boom. That's Boom. awesome. And um, that sounds like getting a, like a custom tattoo, but that's, that's a process for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you, you hope to find someone that you can work well with and who understands what you're trying to convey, especially if you're like me, you're not an artist, right? Like yeah. I, I enjoy art, but I myself am not an artist. Yeah. So, uh, Same. Yeah. For my, my desert mofo logo that I just got done. I basically use Photoshop because I, you know, I do photography. So Photoshop's mm-hmm. easy. And what I did is I just went and like, I, I took a helmet and like this bull skull and stuff. And I just Photoshopped it together and I sent it over to her. And I'm like, this is kind of what I want, but I want it to be like an actual, like minimalistic black and white logo. Yeah. And then she sent me a few options back and, and I picked the one I've got now. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah, it's, it's good to have someone you can trust. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. I've been I've been lucky enough to work with a few people now who are really good at what they do and um, are good at interpreting my terrible descriptions. So. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, we are getting pretty far out there, and I don't want to keep you all day. All good. No so worries. let's uh, let's go over a few more things. I saw that you guys were in Hawaii in January. Yes. Was that business pleasure or both? Uh, both. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. It, it, we we tend to combine both both sides to it every time we go out, like you know, on vacation. Uh, it was mostly for pleasure, uh, but we always try to make it a thing to where we visit shops and sort of see different perspectives um, uh, uh, on how they operate and do things and what their designs look like and how big the storefront is. And it sort of helps brainstorm of what we sort of look for, uh, down the road and, you know, what would we do differently? So I would say like 20% of it is sort of business. Uh, now is it like a business expense to go to Hawaii sometimes, uh, when, when we buy coffee and whatnot. Um, but it, it's good to to do that. We, we went to Vietnam last year or a couple of years ago, and we did the same thing, you know. Um, and it, it's so interesting to see how different countries operate, uh, just from um, a hospital perspective, a service perspective, and just from a quality like pers- like um, product uh, perspective. And um, you know, it's. It really gives us a lot of ideas of how how much you can do with a little space. Um, 
and sort of the different things you can have on your menu. Like, hey, having only like four things on your menu is like just fine. And, you know, there's tons of people coming in because probably either because, you know, the branding looks good. Like it looks like a approachable place uh, from off the street. And, um, you know, you can gather inside and, you know, people were waiting in line and, you know, you don't, you're not spending two minutes looking at the menu when you're at the register because you don't know what you want. Like, well, we only have four, four things. Uh, so different things like that, that gives a lot of, a lot of ideas of utilizing uh, our vacations uh, as a business. Um, but Hawaii in itself, man, I, we, we were supposed to go uh, again this summer, uh, when unfortunately that didn't happen. Uh, but hopefully, hopefully in the future again. So a couple quick things. One, yeah. your, your mic feels like it's rubbing. It sounds like it's rubbing against something right now. So I don't know if oh. it's your hair or if it's... Uh... It's probably my hair. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the other thing is... Um... I'll wait for you to... All right. There we go. Um, did you guys visit the countries where you were trying to source your beans? Um, or how did that come about? No, we visit the country just... Um, from, from a, mostly from a pleasure perspective, um, Vietnam was somewhere where we just wanted to go to, um, you know, in Southeast Asia and, you know, it wasn't, the coffee wasn't really the central topic of, of, of our visit, but that was definitely something that we wanted to get, uh, perspectives on. Um, most of our coffees, you know, we, we go through an importer, um, that's based in Oakland. Um, so we get our green coffee from there we do want to make it a thing in the future to visit, um, uh, the source, uh, of where coffee is grown. Um, like in South America, um, you know, figuring out what that would look like down the road and what farms, you know, that we would be willing to visit. So it's definitely a goal of ours to try and visit. Um, but currently that won't be the case for a while. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, I hear Hawaii, you know, and I, I know that they've got a coffee industry out there and um, I'm not sure about Vietnam. I think likely they, they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm just curious because I know you'd said that you guys were trying to take care to make sure that you're ethically sourcing um, your beans and such. Uh, yeah. So. Um, and I know eventually, oh, sorry. No, no, that's all right. I'm sorry. Like, we're letting my dog out to go potty, and oh, my okay. light, my light's kind of blocking the uh, the door. Um, that yeah, I mean that that's been top of mind of sort of how uh, you know where does our coffee come from, um, and sort of you know uh, of, of farmers and you know who we're supporting, um, and you know obviously our volume isn't as much as some of these other com uh, other companies, but uh, we're always practically looking at the best ways to do that. Um, so what are some of the concerns surrounding the coffee industry for anyone who might not be aware of what we're talking about? So I, th I think Kiana can provide more light on this also, but just from my perspective, you know, uh, I think this also has to do with the climate change that's been happening also. Um, a lot of farmers and coffee long term you know we're going to lose all these sources in these regions and these and sort of how the coffee grows and we're losing the climate that it needs to be grown in so um i know there's quite a few sort of articles that sort of goes around to all the farmers that are, that are trying to keep uh, their farms alive um 
Uh, unfortunately, I don't know um, all those specifics, but that's sort of just a general consensus. So, you know, there, there's supply is, is, is starting to drain out a little bit. Um, yeah, and I mean, I've heard before that um, sometimes the bigger companies can take advantage of the smaller farmers and not offer them, you know, appropriate money, um, you know, knowing yeah. that they that they'll take what they can they can basically, you know, yeah. versus um, what they're it's truly worth when you look at what they're selling it for and how much money they're making every year, yeah, and, and that sort of a thing too, and. Um, you know, I think I think that's an important consideration for folks. But you know, I'm of the opinion, personally, that um, you know you should do that as much as possible. But you know, like also kind of take into account, it's like, okay, well, did the, the people working have an opportunity before to sell their coffee at all? Mm -hmm. You know, and if they did, how much were they selling it for? And um, are you offering more than that? Or less than that, because if you're coming in and you're offering more than what they were originally selling it for, uh, but you're making a lot of money off of it, it's still, in my mind, a bit unethical. Yeah. But at the same time, I think that the farmers are probably they're never complaining about making more money, right? right. I think that it's um, kind of um, we have the leisure to sort of think about things like. Um, the, the full ethics of how much they should be getting for the coffee. And I think right. that we should, because we do have that ability. You mm -hmm. know? Um, but at the same time, I don't know if it would be a net benefit if all of a sudden people were to be like, okay, well, let's boycott this coffee company because they only pay them, you know, a dollar a pound more than what they were selling it before. Right. And, and it's like, okay, well now they've lost a dollar a pound more than what they, <laughs> Instead, maybe you should have just kept pressuring them to pay them more instead of boycott. You know <laughs> exactly. I know <laughs> that's kind of what it is. Just pay them more, Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's 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 an ongoing topic, um, and I know a lot of just micro roasters uh, deal with this subject all the time of like where they source their coffee. And I don't I don't know what the right answer is and what what the actual direction is. Is it's. You know, it, there is a the general consensus is you know definitely farmers like they need to get paid more like for their labor, um, and I think it's just continuing that path of finding out how do we continue to support those farmers. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I definitely would uh, love to talk to Kiana at some point. Then, if she's kind of the uh, she's the a coffee coffee, coffee person, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. But it seems like you're the bike person, so you're more the connection um, with the show. Uh, yes, because yeah. you know my my goal with the modern squid is just to get to know people, right? Like I I, I think that um, people are really interesting, and there's a lot of good stuff going on that people are doing that I think people will be interested in, in hearing about. And what kind of connects everyone through the modern squid is our love of motorcycles. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end of the day, I want it to be a podcast about people, yep. you know, and um, which is why I spend a lot of time talking to people about just general things in their life because I'm genuinely interested in people. And, you know, it's, it's just the motorcycles are just the, the glue that brings us exactly. together, you know? Yep. Um, yep. I know. I feel like that sort of drives all of our, all of our goals. It's like, we're like, we need to find the glue. That's motorcycling. All right, let's, let's build on that. I mean, it's, it's the human experience, right? It's like we're, we're human beings or social creatures and you're always looking for opportunities to kind of 
um, find your tribe, uh, yep. so to speak. And um, yeah, you know, I think that anything that gives you an opportunity for that um, can be really important to people's lives. Um, you know, because yep. I mean, again, motorcycling is fun, right? I, I love to get on my motorcycle and ride. But mm-hmm. what adds what adds an extra element to it is all the people I'm meeting through motorcycles. And this exactly. is this is during a pandemic when I can't meet people in person. You know, and I'm still <laughs> finding, you know, a lot of friends and community through motorcycling online um, that I never would have had without a motorcycle. Right. Yeah. No, I yeah, I, I'm right there with you. It's 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 there's sort of this aspect of um of 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 seeing an interest that and i think a lot of people also drive on the energy of 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 other people being passionate about certain certain things so it's like you know in our in our sense it's motorcycles are glue but for at least golden hour coffee is the glue um to bring motorcycle people in so you know they kind of work conversely with each other well, you guys get double glue. That's all. We just get double the glue. <laughs> 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 Works out. Yeah, I mean, they say niche down twice, right? And a lot of a lot of books and, and things when they're talking about um, yeah. business. Ah, geez, Louise, ouch! Sorry, my cat is attacking my feet because I've got this. Um, uh, here, let me just show you. I've got oh my gosh! It's the table with a table oh, yeah, thing yeah. on it, and. Uh-huh. Uh, so she sees my feet under there and, or he, it's probably actually the boy. Cause I see the girl <laughs> here and oh my gosh, he has like super sharp claws. Man, you got, you got a handful over there. I'm going to pull this up so that they don't attack my feet anymore. <laughs> oh, and they like to climb me. I'll be sitting at my desk working and just out of nowhere, they'll jump up on me and start climbing me. Yeah, and uh, if, I'm, <laughs> if I'm wearing jeans, that's okay. But if I'm wearing shorts, oh my gosh, they don't—they don't care. I'm wearing shorts. I almost you're, use my skin like uh, you're—you're a walking cat scratch post. Oh man, some days, <laughs> some days. <laughs> anyway, um, so you've been writing for since 2019, right? No, you? no, no. This year, April. Oh, so only been a few months. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I am wow. brand new, which is why I talk a lot about uh, parking lot practice and, and trying to get confidence on the bike. And that's um, great. I can really relate to people who are, who are learning to ride because I'm right there with you. You know, it's like, yeah. I, you know, your wife and I would probably uh, be able to relate really well because it's like, I'm just now getting out into traffic. Yeah. Uh, and the, the thing is like, I've reached that point where I'm that dangerous confidence level where it's like, I think my skill probably doesn't match my confidence or my comfort at least. Yeah. Um, because I'm not really freaked out by riding on the street with a bunch of cars around me, but I probably should be more freaked out than I am. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, always good on the side of caution. Yeah, for oh, sure. That, that does remind me though. So this is a question that I like to ask everyone. Um, on the scale of full squid to full at gat, where would you fall? <laughs> uh, is this a scale of like one to 10 or? It's, you know, I like to leave it open. If you want to create your own numbering yeah. system, you can. If you want it to be like, I don't know, I'm a half squid, half at gat, whatever. It doesn't <laughs> um, at gat for sure. Uh, so there are exceptions, but they're very small exceptions. Um, the only time that I actually got on a bike 
without armor uh, was on track days. Um, track days meaning like in the parking lot on the pit, uh, not actually on the track. Um, but you know, if I'm out on the street, if I'm going to be in public roads, uh, it's at GAT all the time. Um, now, uh, I've let Kiana off the hook, a, a, you know, a number of times of her, just like not having to wear boots or gloves and stuff. And, you know, I, I give her a hard time a little bit on it, but it's like, it's like, okay. And I'll just, this is bad. I was like, I'll just be extra cautious. Obviously that doesn't matter. Uh, but you know, there are certain times where comfort over protection, you know, you start to sort of weigh those two out. As far as for me, just alone being a writer, like I, I always wear full gear. Um, there has been times where I'm just like, man, it's, we, we just had our heat wave here in the Bay area. And I'm like, I'm just like, I'm going to go out, go down the store, you know, do a pickup. And like, I just want to go just in my riding pants and just go with a shirt. And I'm like, well, I could do that. Or, you know, I did buy a leather jacket that has a lot of airflow that wouldn't really make sense if I didn't wear it. Cause I'd be just as cool anyways, or cool as in like airflow airflow wise so uh you know as much as i would love to not have armor i just sort of like just say it, it's just do it you know helmet gloves jacket uh i i wear these pants uh by ugly bros i don't know if you know them uh they're the best riding pants i've ever owned i used to have a bunch of pants by revit um but ugly bros ugly bros they don't sell them on like Rosella or some of the major distributors they just sell direct on their website but like I wear them like almost every day and they're like normal stretchy pants, but you can like slip in armor as you need to on and off. And you're not like really bound to feeling like a, like you're wearing bulky pants all the time. So do they have like a Dyneema or Kevlar weave or something? You just yes. said stretchy and that doesn't usually go well with um, yeah. Kevlar. And there's like various stretchy panels in the knee and the hip area. Um, but on the inside, it's, it's, there's a color weave on the inside on the abrasion. Um, and then like, it's got knee pockets where you can like flip them on and off. Um, they're, they're not cheap, but I think I validated the expense, uh, with wearing them every single day. Um, yeah. and with a peace of mind also. Well, I, um, I mean, I don't think there's any really cheap writing jeans out there that are effective. Yeah. Um, you know, like I, I tend to see like anything under $200 doesn't come with armor, you know, yep. it's like, okay, well you bought the jeans great under 200 bucks, but now you got to buy the knee and hip armor. It's like, okay, yep. well now you're getting back up into that one fifty two hundred dollars range, like, <laughs> uh, which yep. is sort of the cheapest I've found that you can find writing jeans that come with armor. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I, I got some from, I think it's bullet. Um, yeah. Yep. And they're totally not comfortable. Um, <laughs> I, the interesting thing is that I wear uh, 38 jeans in the waist. Um, and for like Calvin Klein and old Navy and yeah. um, lucky brand, like all those different jeans, 38s fit me in a way where I have to wear a belt. Otherwise they kind of slide down. Yeah. Um, but I'm stocky, right? Like I'm part Scottish. And so I've got like this, like thick thighs and, you know, <laughs> and, uh, I'm not that tall. So it's like, I need a little bit of room, but if I, if I go another size and it gets too long for me, blah, yeah. blah. anyway, so, uh, the 38s are normally, you know, uh, baggy enough that I need a belt, 
but they're also baggy enough that my legs don't feel like they're getting squished and uh, that kind of a deal. Well, yeah. I got them that same, actually, I think I got 40s in uh, the riding pants because I either got 38s or I got 40s, one of the two, but I was trying to go big with them as I could. Mm-hmm. And I had to go buy a freaking belt extender thing. Um, oh my God. Like, it hooks onto uh, the button, you know? Yeah. And then it gives you like an extra inch so I can actually close it because they wouldn't freaking close. Oh my gosh. And so they, they <laughs> run they run small in the waist and they're, they're, wow. you know, they're not stretchy at all. Yeah. Oh, geez. So, I mean, um, I'm happy. That does not sound comfortable. But yeah, they're just like, I couldn't believe how much smaller. I would have thought like, um, you know, designer jeans tend to be they run a little bit small, right? Yeah. So I kind of thought that the Calvin Kleins would be um, more of a slim fit, and I was like, okay, if I can if I can wear a thirty eight in their baggy in in like a sort of a designer jean, then yeah. I should be good to go getting that same size or a little bit larger in motorcycle jeans. And I was one hundred percent wrong. Man, <laughs> it's a hit or miss with these riding pants, really. And I'm trying to do the social distancing thing. So I didn't go out to like cycle gear and try them on or anything. I just like, yeah. you know, I knew my size and I yeah. ordered them online. Uh, Took a chance on it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the thing is, I'm glad I have them though, because I did take a spill recently, um, really slow speed. I've, I've dropped my bike twice now, both super low speeds. Um, yeah. Once I didn't even fall over because I was in gravel and the bike just kind of like slipped out underneath me. Yep. And then once I was going into, um, a um, traffic circle in a neighborhood right so it's no traffic and one other truck who decided he didn't want to wait for me and and kind of gunned it and all my practice for emergency stopping has been like straight up going straight and this time i had leaned over and i was starting to curve and so i did my emergency braking but i was like too hard on the brakes for the lean angle and i went down and uh, the the hip armor was magical yeah. In that I didn't even have a bruise, you know, like yep. I dropped, I dropped down and I fell with the bike, um, slid maybe little like six inches or something like I was going so slow. I barely even slid, you yeah. know, and I stood up no bruising, no scratching. And I was like, okay, the gear works. <laughs> yep. Yep. You've already like paid for your paid off your gear. Yeah. I was like, this, <laughs> this is perfect. Now I'm going to wear these every single time because in the past, Phoenix gets so hot and the riding jeans are a lot warmer than normal jeans. Yeah. Um, so there have been days that I've debated not wearing them. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe I'll just wear some regular jeans because I'm not really going anywhere and just kind of putzing around the neighborhood. Yeah. And, I, and I've ended up just wearing the uh, the riding jeans anyway because I try to be at Gap. Yeah. Um, but now it's like, now I don't even doubt myself. I'm like, no, I don't care. I'm riding, I'm wearing the riding jeans because I know yeah. this armor actually works. Yep. I know it's it. That, and that's the one thing It's just like, I'm just going down the street or I'm just going to be going there and man. Yeah. Yeah. What was that? Well, I forget. So it was like most accidents happen when you're near home or something like that. Do you know why? Uh, well, my first thought was because you know where you are, you're you're comfortable and you're like, I know, I know this neighborhood and you know what to expect. And I think you're just comfortable. So it is a brain function, actually. Mm. So what's happening um, is that your brain can only process and pay attention to so much stuff, right? 
And so a lot of what your brain does is fill in information just from stored data, just like a computer, right? Like, mm-hmm. like a cache from mm-hmm. uh, a computer. And the more well-known the area is to you, the more data your brain fills in without actually processing the information that's there. So um, a car, for instance, might not see you even if he looks right at you because he's not really paying attention. His, like, his eyes are moving in your direction, but mm-hmm. his brain isn't processing it because the brain is trained to look for cars and yeah. we're not a car. So you turn your eyes and you look your brain's looking for cars. Your brain doesn't see a car. So your brain will fill in an empty street mm-hmm. because it's seen that street a million times. It knows exactly what that street's supposed to look like. <laughs> and so the car will just pull out in front of you and you'll be like, what the hell? You looked right at me. Why did, how did you not see me? And they're like, I didn't see you. And like, <laughs> we made eye contact. And it's like, <laughs> you know, and then uh, come to find out, um, I was um, reading some stuff and seeing videos on it. It's literally your brain deleting the motorcycle out of the picture. Yeah. You know, um, and they were talking about on the flip side, one of the reasons you get sleepy on long drives, like if you're driving to, I don't know, in my case from Arizona to California, right? I don't drive from Arizona to California that much. So my brain doesn't know what to fill in. So your brain actually has to process and develop a picture in your head from what it's seen instead of what it knows. And so it's like, you know, you drive two hours there and you're starting to get sleepy. And you're like, why? Why am I getting like, I don't understand. Like I, I yeah. drive an hour to commute every day and I don't get sleepy, but I do two hours on a road trip and I'm feeling tired and sleepy. It's because your brain is literally working harder and needs yeah. more rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, it's exhausted. Picking up. Yeah, it's actually getting, getting exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh, all the gear uh, yeah. in my book. Uh, if, if you don't have to wear gear, it better be on a closed course and controlled environment, like a track pit. Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I learned, uh, I learned in Nicaragua in like a grass field and, uh, not exactly grass. It was kind of like hard packed dirt and then grass. I don't know how to explain it. It's, uh, but anyway, I, I didn't have, I was wearing shorts and a button down, um, cotton shirt. no helmet and my buddy who was uh, teaching me how to ride i've got a video of it and he's like sorry claudia i promise he'll be okay (laughs) (laughs) claudia is my girlfriend's name (laughs) it's like what are you doing to him yeah yeah because we were in traffic it was just like that's awesome Uh, and it's interesting that the first time you rode it you just had no armor on like there's just like no protection nothing at all and i never had any interest in motorcycles um, but I, I like learning new things. So my buddy yeah. was like, you want to learn? And I was like, of course I want to learn. I'll never use this for anything, but I'd love to learn it. Yeah. And then I loved it. So like where you are now. <laughs> yeah. Like you, you wanted a scooter, you hopped on a bike and you were like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is better than I expected. Holy smokes. Yeah. Um, awesome. all right. Well, I think that's pretty much everything that, uh, I'd wanted to cover. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it. And I hope at some point to also get uh, Kiara on here or Kiana, sorry, on here as well. Of course. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm happy uh, to answer any other questions. And, and I'm sorry, Kiana couldn't make it today. But I think if you had any other 
outstanding questions, feel free to like reach out directly to us and, you know, obviously you can chat us on Instagram as well. Yeah. Maybe we'll do like a live on Instagram or something sometime where you like yeah. throw another person on there. Yep. All right. Cool. Thanks a lot. Well, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Modern Squid Podcast. If you'd like to hear more from Brad and Golden Hour Coffee, you can visit their Instagram at Golden Hour Coffee Moto. And in their profile, you'll find a link to their website, which is also goldenhourcoffeemoto.com. Thanks again, and see you guys next week.